Hello everybody and welcome to volume 2 issue 65 of the Cana Rinse podcast. On the day that the snow turns into rain we record the second and final of our Shenmue podcasts. Yu Suzuki's Shenmue 2 sees Ryo cross the East China Sea in his continuing pursuit of Lan Di, the man who murdered his father. Joining me, Leon Cox, in this issue, Darren Foreman. How about a game of lucky hit? <laughs> Please, no, no more lucky hit. James Carter. Hello. And Dan Clark, guesting from the AI box. The voodoo that you don't dare do, people. You've been coming up with that for the last month. I was so hoping someone else wasn't going to say it in those first three. I was like, don't say it, don't say it. (laughs) Since, uh, yes, uh, listeners uh, who are discovering Kane and Rince for the first time or stumbled across this because they're massive fans of Shenmue 2, we did a Shenmue 1 show uh, last month. Can't remember the number, I'm afraid, but uh, you can find it on the same feed or on the same website, kaneandrince.com. We talk all about the first game. Uh, We talk a lot more about the production of game and in fact really both games uh, whereas the focus this show will be talking about Shenmue 2 and then talking about the nebulous potential future of the franchise if there is such a thing. But let's start as is traditional with our own histories with Shenmue 2 specifically. Let's start with our guest Dan. Okay well I think I may have mentioned this briefly on the last show. I hope I didn't go into it in depth but um, I did buy this on the Dreamcast way back when and then got Maybe I think I was towards the end of the first disc, um, but then my housemate bought an Xbox and I started it again on the Xbox, and then started right. it again on the Xbox 360. So it's one of those games where this is the third attempt, and I've managed to make it all the way through this time. So, so I only finished it. I only finished oh, okay. it this week, same as yourself. So I've got kind of a wow! I did not yeah. know that. And there we were having you on as our sort of Sega head expert and this is a brand new thing for you well that's actually really good because um my history is is similar in that i've only just played it for the first time darren what about you well basically it came out in europe and i bought it there's uh there's no deep kind of history in this one it's just the simple fact that i really enjoyed the first game felt the second game was coming out and As soon as I heard that it was not dubbed and was uh, subtitled instead, yeah, I was straight on there. Because those kind of things make me happy, and the dubbing in Shenmue has been moderately appalling. <laughs> yes, it was. And uh, we talked about that, obviously, last time. So you bought it on the Dreamcast, and you presumably kept your VMU save game to carry over into the sequel? Of course. And, uh, Which I think does does add a certain amount of attachment. Yeah, it possibly does. Um, it can mean you actually start the game with less stuff, though, can't it? 
Uh, a lot less in my case. You yeah. did do. The <laughs> yeah. thing is, I had lots of money, which I translated into lots of toys, and then sold for money after uh, certain events and deprived Ryu of cash. <laughs> yes, forewarned is forearmed yeah. in the case of the start of Shenmue 2. I wasn't. Um, but then, of course, in a way, again, in terms of a story moment, you could argue that it's more effective if you don't know what's coming. So, yeah, I uh, was forearmed in that case, and it probably eased the game, but gave me a different perspective on it from someone who's gritting their teeth yeah. and uh, scrabbling for money the uh, whole game through. Yes, indeed. And uh, that's that was my experience. Yeah, there, uh, there James, was actually one other thing to add. Oh, sorry, Darren. It's just that later yeah. on, I did buy the Xbox version and managed to oh, yeah. behold that fantastic dub in all its glory. Mm. <laughs> right. Did you play it all the way through on Xbox as well? I did. Not recently, but um, I'd at least say plugged through it again. Yeah, it's nearly 10 years ago, amazingly enough. James, what about you? Uh, this was uh, a game that I, I know you played in recent years uh, because you wrote an article about it for our former site, Gamer Dork, uh, which is still it's still there on the internet. Your your piece. Yeah, yeah, I um, um, looked it up today. Uh, so I'd obviously uh, played Shenmue uh, one a few years after it came out, um, as I mentioned, and and just didn't get round to Shenmue two mainly because I didn't have a Dreamcast or an Xbox. Um, but when I, I proposed a series of uh, articles which were called Throwback on, on Gamer Dork, which were all about me making up for the games that I hadn't played um, and the holes that I had in my gaming uh, mm. knowledge, uh, the, the kind people on the forums, uh, two of the people on this podcast included, um, were suggesting games for me. And um, Shenmue 2 came up several times, so... Uh, I I picked up the Xbox version, which is backwards compatible, and uh, and and played it a couple of years ago now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like Darren here, I bought my copy on launch day, um, as I did with Shenmue One. Uh, and other than to put the disc disc one in to look at the start uh, sometime many years ago, because I hadn't played the first game and I knew that the saves carried over and the story continued, um, I really hadn't played it so. Uh, this was my first time of playing it, um, and I just finished it a few days ago. So, the Dreamcast version came out in Japan in September, September 26, 2001, which was two years after Shenmue 1 came out in Japan, which makes sense because when you when you you know you see how much stuff there is in it. Um, the fact that it it was only a year between installments in PAL land is a bit of a anomaly, really, I suppose. Um, this one ended up getting ironically converted a lot quicker um, because uh, the Dreamcast was on its last legs and Sega were pulling out of the hardware market and stuff so it was basically anything to try and recoup some money um, and of course famously in America it became an Xbox exclusive although that didn't come out for another year October 28th 2002 and in PAL land we got the Xbox version in March 2003 uh, the conversion was by Rotubo Games, uh, who have a, a fine history of doing conversions for Sega. Uh, they worked on uh, the 32X versions of Afterburner and Space Harrier. They worked on Saturn versions of various uh, former arcade titles like Outrun and Afterburner and uh, Space Harrier. <laughs> you, you may know there's a theme. But they also uh, brought Street Fighter 3 to the Dreamcast for Capcom and King of Fighters 95 to the Saturn for SNK. Uh, so, find a fine team to do the job. I love that someone um, within Sega has thought, well, they were good at making the arcade games. How about, we've got yeah. the arcade games with Shenmue, surely they can do the rest, <laughs> that'll be fine. Yeah, 
<laughs> yeah, um, a safe pair of hands. But yes, it, it's true enough that uh, that did make me think. Like, I suppose, yeah. I mean, they've they've worked on relatively contemporary coin-ups like Street Fighter Three and X-Men: Children of the Atom, but to convert a a massive multi-disc ambitious um, real-world RPG, you would imagine is a different task to porting a uh, a coin-op fighting game or whatever. But I understand they did a fine job, so uh, let's talk about some of the differences between the two versions um, now. Darren's already mentioned it. Happily, in, in the PAL Dreamcast version, uh, because they didn't want to pay for the English dub at this point, um, we got the Japanese voices, which I found infinitely preferable in my playthrough, in that I didn't turn them off, which is what I did with the English uh, dub. So the English dub, but they did manage to get everyone from the voice cast back I think they did much. although there's barely any characters that are the same so I'm not quite sure why that really matters too much but uh, yeah that's a fair point although I think there's um, a huge so cool. improvement in the in the English dub as compared to Shenmue 1 like maybe not a massive yeah, bit, but it's bit less wooden significantly better yeah less wooden and um, I think perhaps they were less trying to ape the um, the Japanese voice actors in the second one which in the first one I think maybe why there's such a sort of dynamic range in the pitching. Right. Because they're trying to sort of match the sound of the voices in the Japanese dub. Um, yeah, that's not how that's not how you should do it because the language is so different and the way the way they express themselves is yeah. so different. It just yeah, it seems sort of more natural, I suppose, isn't it? Okay. Well I've I've heard very little of it. Um a few people have linked me to clips of the dubbing in the sequel, um and some of it still seems pretty bad, but um I'm quite happy to concede that it's not as bad as Shenmue One because I'm not sure it could be. <laughs> Corey Marshall returns as Rio and uh yeah, so I assume some of the same people return but play different parts. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And what else? Uh, obviously, it comes on one DVD as opposed to four uh, GD-ROMs, which is good, and uh, appropriately reduced load times as well, um, which are quite bad on the Dreamcast version. Um, a 5.1 mix, because the Xbox could handle that. Uh, I don't know how good a mix it is, but again, I imagine it's if you have the, the requisite sound setup it's probably an improvement in terms of immersion especially in the you know bustling hong kong areas that you've got you know presumably people talking mm. around you and stuff like that I, music going I on. didn't get a chance to experience the 5.1 mix um it, it sounds great the, the sort of background noises and the ambience of the the city sound fantastic in in stereo but uh, 5.1 I, I suppose would improve that but it depends how they handled the mix so yeah, Tough to true. Say. No experience of it, I'm afraid. There's an awful lot of sound glitches when you play the Xbox version on the 360 uh, with the background mm. noise and with the music, so I'm not quite sure how that would pan out with the 5.1. It'd be interesting to know. Yeah, a few emulation... Tr they never quite 100% nailed uh, Xbox emulation on the 360, even at the point that they gave up developing it. Um, Especially it, not in the PAL region. No, good point. Yeah. Something very interesting, though. Um, I'd played yeah. this um, after we'd done the, the previous show. Uh, is when I last played Shenmue 2, and then I went back to it last week, and there's been an update in between those times, <laughs> which I found unbelievable. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not... Wow. Like, I don't know... Now, I definitely hadn't deleted it from my hard drive, so I don't know what the... And I don't know what the update would have been, other than maybe better compatibility, but I'm not sure why they'd be doing that this far <laughs> after <laughs> the release. But, but I was oh. I was absolutely jaw-dropped by that. Wow. Very strange. 
Um, some some graphic enhancements, I understand, anti-aliasing and bloom effects, um, particularly on uh, lighting and, and nighttime, apparently are enhanced yeah. compared to and, Dreamcast. And uh, water fashion. effects are also enhanced as well. Ah, okay, that's that's good. I imagine that makes Disc Four look even prettier, uh, or the equivalent of Disc Four. Um, there's a snapshot mode you can take pictures, um, and this taking certain pictures of certain characters unlocks some side stories in the shape of animated manga or no um, animated I think they're non-animated I didn't actually manage okay. to get any but I'd love to go no. back and find them um... I didn't I only learned about this today um, I didn't know anything about this and um, there's some bonus art to unlock uh, any other Xbox improvements I've missed yeah well I'm not quite sure if these are improvements well one definitely is but changes, um, the, changes the first let's change say. is that in Zhuling's uh, uh, flat in the Dreamcast version there's a poster of um, New York Skyline and the Twin Towers are in the Dreamcast version, and they've kind of been oh. crudely edited. Um, not very well either. Wow. Like One's been made slightly shorter than the other in the post-9-11 Xbox wow. version. Wow, like the title sequence to Friends, uh, Shenmue suffered in the, in the same yeah, way. And uh, wow. Spider-Man, the movie. Yes, of course. Yeah. And the, possibly the biggest change in the game above the uh, load times, the English dub, and coming on one disc, is that in the Tomato Convenience Store, on the Dreamcast... <laughs> yeah you had six milk cartons and eight orange juice, whereas on yep. the Xbox you have eight milk and six juice. That is the best piece of video game trivia I have ever heard. It's a game changer, that, isn't it? It seems <laughs> someone actually took time to do that. It's extremely <laughs> pointless. Is it, a health, is it a health thing? Do you yeah, think? maybe. That's psychology is what it is. And, um, yeah, one... burn, your, burn your Xbox version. <laughs> <laughs> and one that's as weird... Um, well, I think it's just weird. You know the ship that you arrive on? There's been two yeah. extra doors added to the ship, which you only see for like the first like minute of the game. So like, someone's looked at the Dreamcast version and gone, tell you what, there's not enough doors on the side of that ship. No, think about so... it, you know? I mean, like, if there's a fire and there's no doors nearby, how the hell are they going to get out? <laughs> Very that's cool. true. It might be those doors that have the, the ramps that you slide down to get into the sea. Oh, no, that's planes, isn't it? Um, anyway... Uh, yeah, I, um, there was no. It wasn't widescreen, was it? The Xbox version. No, it's not. I don't think. No, it was a no. That's a pity. Uh, Unless there's any special um, settings that I missed when I was replaying it. No, yeah, no I, I think no, when I was looking up differences and enhancements, it wasn't mentioned, which is a shame because that would have been a fairly uh, reasonable one. So the story continues, as you say. Uh, Ryu arrives on a boat in Hong Kong in uh, search of. He's been given a letter by uh, the. The dude he befriended at the end of the first game. Um, it might be yeah. worth mentioning now that uh, originally you were supposed to be able to play that journey on a boat for three months. Yeah, year. yeah, we we did mention this, and that's right, we mentioned this in the first show. That would have taken uh, the shape of chapter three, was it, or four? I forget. Uh, chapter two. Yeah, it's the one that comes um, as a little comic book, isn't it? Yeah, the first game is is chapter one of the, of the eleven or sixteen, um, and then the the. The comic book or or graphic novel is is chapter two, and then Shevin Two right. itself is three to five. Okay. Uh, so. Um, yes. The, so the boat section, there is a little giveaway, isn't there? That there was something cut out because um, as you come off the boat, a woman starts thanking you for all the help that yeah. you've uh, you did protecting her daughter on the on the journey or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're like, oh, okay, thanks. A bit weird, but <laughs> don't worry, I've blanked out these past three months. <laughs> Uh, so some of the first things you'll notice are some of the, obviously, as I say, this was two years later in Japan, two years of development. There are a few enhancements based on presumably feedback 
the first game and things the developers wanted to do. So now you can control. We didn't actually mention this in the whole of the first podcast, but in Shenmue One, uh, Rio is only controlled via the D-pad, which uh, today feels positively archaic and quite frustrating. But in Shenmue Two, you can control him with the analog stick on the Dreamcast controller. Uh, which is a definite improvement. You can still hold down the left uh, trigger to make him run, though, in the direction he's facing, which is uh, merciful at times. Uh, there's an on-screen map, if you buy one. Uh, you have to buy maps from all over the place. They're all 10 Hong Kong dollars, which I feel kind of is probably expensive for mid-80s, but I don't know. Um, they're not that useful, the maps, are they? I, really? I only no. bought one of them in the whole game. Yeah, you're better off just learning the the environment yourself. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, all they really do is give you a really crude 3D map that kind of obscures your visuals. Yeah, you can put markers on them and stuff, which is uh, which can be helpful if you find somewhere you want to return to and stuff. But yeah, uh, overall, buying the complete set of maps would cost you a few hundred dollars, and um, really, they're they're just. they're just green. They don't have any detail on them. They don't have any place names or anything. So yeah. generally, and one of the other enhancements uh, is the fact that you can get characters to, to tell you where to go. And sometimes they'll offer to take you there. Oh, I just happen to have some business in the area. Or I've got some time. Do you want to follow me? Um, you can actually leave Rio just following in first person view. Um, they It's very slow. I think that's deliberate. The idea that you sh- should probably find your own way around. Um, but you can actually lock onto a character uh, heading to the place that you want to go and put the controller down and go off and do something else. I think that's really great. I think that should be in more open world games. I love the idea of it. Well, I guess it's equivalent to the taxi drives in GTA. It's just they give you the option to skip those, but you could just sit and (laughs) and let yourself be driven from one side of the the map to the other. Um, I, I found it much more preferable just to run around and get lost a few times and find your way through through doing that um mm. early on in the game you do have access to a reasonable sized area and it is easy to get sort of turned around and, and uh, a little bit lost but entirely authentic to the experience of a stranger abroad in a, a new town city, absolutely, which, yeah. which is exactly which is one of the first things i actually did like about shinmu 2 was yeah. the way it evoked that crikey i'm I just arrived in a new place i don't know where i am i've got little bag with me not for long and uh, and here i am uh, a couple of other additions uh rather than uh buttons being kind of um standardized uh they went for the more uh, zelda-esque context sensitive buttons with indicators as to what you're about to do depending on the button press which i did did think was a definite improvement Anyone else? There's one that I never quite figured out what it was. Is, is it supposed to look like a Dreamcast pad? One that sometimes comes up on the uh, well on the Xbox, the A button, the bottom button. Yeah, isn't that when you're in a, a place where you can save or sleep? Ah, that'll be what it is then. It's just that it doesn't look much like a Dreamcast pad, so I wasn't sure if it was something that I was missing or not. Mm-hmm. It's probably thing. the old fat control that you forgot about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, another little change was the fact that in the first game, if you did a a, a hot save, as it were, from the uh, menu, it was it was a, a Majora's Mask style. Um, you can only reload it once, whereas Shemu Two, you can create proper saves um, anywhere, anytime, anywhere, which is uh, an absolute godsend, especially in certain sections on disc three. Uh, any other? Uh, Enhancements or changes, improvements over Shenmue um, One. 
I don't know how this plays out on the the Dreamcast. You guys will be able to tell me, but one thing about the controls on the Xbox is you can only still use one analog stick. Although obviously, even in Xbox days, it would have had two, um, and mm-hmm. it gives you kind of two versions of the control system depending upon what you want to use the analog stick for, and and one kind of um, just act as a as your movement as your left stick normally would. Uh, there um, is no second analog on the Dreamcast, so that's yeah, exactly. So that's why why it is. But is there the option to reconfigure it because you can. You can either, oh, I'm trying to remember what it is on the Xbox, you can either have left stick move or you can, you can alter I know I definitely so got a camera working at some point. Forward and back, but yeah, but your left and right becomes your camera left and right. or so. There's some weird other possibility for yeah. your control system. And I don't know if that's possible on the... One that on seems to suit but... no one. Yeah, exactly. It's there's one that sort of kind of works, and you can imagine that that would have been the the Dreamcast sort of default setup, and then the other ones just yeah horrible. So uh, memories of disc one, then uh, people, you get mugged quite early on. Um, you get introduced introduced to some uh, new mini games, and indeed all those people who said after my. Uh, criticism and and moaning about the uh the ways to earn money in Shenmue. No, you were all absolutely right. It is infinitely shitter in Shenmue 2. Um <laughs> the crate stacking mini game is the most ridiculous, stupid, idiotic right, right. Thing left, left, left. in the game. Yeah, like the people who 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 have defended that stuff to me, you know, like the oh, you know, you said in the first show, Darren. Oh, I like, I you know, I actually quite like busy working in games, and and um, people have said, oh, well, you know, you have to immerse yourself in the idea that that you're living Rio's life, and it's a real it's a real world where you have to do mundane tasks, a real job. I'm not having it. No, if I was stacking crates, why would I arbitrarily and randomly move left and right to cross a room? It's fucking bullshit. Because Either... Dylan's hips are knackered. You're not going to be able The same guy does it in Kowloon. Uh, sorry, the other guy. The, the his, same uh, his hips are knackered as well, you know? <laughs> it's so annoying. I mean, let's be honest. These are not light crates. They're not light crates, no. Um, so Also, you only have to do that minigame a couple of times, really. You don't have to keep going back to it. Six, six, uh, six crates each time you do it. But uh, oh yeah, but you only have to actually do the game once as part of the story, I believe. Yeah, but it's prefer astonishingly, even though it's awful, it's preferable to Lucky Hit. Oh, uh, I preferred Lucky Hit just because you get a bit of real sort of <laughs> gameplay. I love the sort of chink. Lucky, so Lucky Hit is a. And then yeah, you can lose money and get paid nothing for your pins. Yeah, you can stand there for 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 what feels like hours. Is in game hours. Um, My favourite point of Lucky Hit is actually when someone comes up to the board, <laughs> Rio explains the rules to them, and then the guy's like, "No, this is shit. I'm not doing it." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Lucky Hit is old fashioned pachinko. So nails in a board, um, a poor man's peggle, effectively uh, is. Almost entirely luck based. They they talk about it. The, the the players talk about it. Oh yeah, you know. Oh, you're a rookie. You're no good at this game. It's fucking luck. The ball bounces. The dead ball bounces down the the nail board, rolls down, and may or may not fall into it. It's it's like the the demonstration that uh, 
that Dr. What's-His-Face does of the chaos theory in Jurassic Park. You know, it's, it's the drips down the hand. You, you, can't, you can't predict it. There's too many nails, too many bounces, too many well, physical I mean, factors. that's the thing. Even if you put the, the ball in exactly the same place and drop it the same way, it'll still bounce differently every time. Uh, exactly, which is why it, it becomes non-gameplay, as like so many things in Shenmue, where I wait for the AI person to take his turn after having spent you know, 30 seconds trying to call someone over to play the freaking game. Then we wait for him to slowly move his see-through hand up and down, left and right at the top of the board while he decides where to randomly drop it. And then I'm just hammering the A button to drop the ball because I know it doesn't matter a shit whether I drop it in the middle or all the way, all the way over to the left. Um, Can I assume that I'm the of... only person that plays Lucky, or not plays Lucky Hit, but <laughs> runs the Lucky Hit store for fun then? Because I actually do that in between missions. <laughs> You're, you're, you're actually... I think it's probably not just between us. I think it's like you are alone in all the world. <laughs> <laughs> you are insane. Um, yeah, uh, and there's uh, there's a theme among uh, a lot of the sort of pastimes and mini games uh, among both Shenmue. You know, away from Yu Suzuki's uh, stunning arcade cabinets, which you know are classic and. You know, maybe uh, the gameplay of Space Harrier and Afterburner in particular hasn't aged that well, but uh, they are still, you know, enjoyable times to be had. Classic, classic. It's, it's video kind game of a shame from. that they didn't have like um, little competitions going on, tournaments at the arcades where you could win money by playing actual games. I did get a. Uh, you do get. You can get a Gashapon toy in the arcade in um, the first place you are in Hong Kong by doing well enough on Outrun. I, I, the arcade owner was waiting for me when I finished a game. And he like says, "Oh, you play, you play really well. Here's a toy." And it um, was a little model of a cabinet, arcade cabinet. Ren's got yeah. one of those later in the game as well. He's got yeah. the, the afterburner one, hasn't he? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, so, of course, the main, uh, f- famously, um, Dan mentioned it at the start. The, the the sort of the thing you spend the most time doing in disc one is uh, learning about the four voodoo. Um, it's, it, yeah, it's the usual sort of Shenmue thing of um, there is quite kind of a lot of noir in Shenmue in that it is about finding a clue and then following it up. There's a lot of that. Uh, this one, you have to meet various guys. They each teach you, or various people, I should say. They they each teach you a different element of this particular uh, discipline of martial arts. It's the best way I can explain it. Anyone care to expand? Um, it's a fetch quest, isn't it? But, um, but you do get, I suppose, They're a new move quests. for doing it. Well, yeah, of course. And um, yeah, I don't think there is a better way to explain it. The game doesn't really explain what the woo do actually are. Other no, than... I, I thought that was just me missing something. But um... yeah, they are. Did anyone weapons. else get? Yes, absolutely. Did anyone else get caught by the barber quick t- the barber QTE? I was about to ask that. I did uh, on the Dreamcast, but not this time round. I remember so. Yeah, three three days in a fucking row it got me. <laughs> and all and there's nothing you can do. Once you fail it, you're not allowed back in this barbershop. Um so this is a QTE that you succeed by failing. Uh in that you have to unlearn what you have learned. Um He does tell you beforehand that you're not supposed to move one better. Yeah. He he does, but I'm I was uh, and and that's before I put right. bleed your throat, of course. That's exactly right. And and in a way, there was part of me when I got it, which was like, oh, okay, yeah, that's actually quite a clever subversion of, you know, because the, the designers know what, what you're, you're, what you're going to do as a video gamer who has already played like 20-something hours of Shenmue at this point. 
you're going to press the A button when you see the thing on the screen. And I did it three days in a row. I could not just, <laughs> my brain could not unlock from that idea that, oh, don't do anything. Okay. Um, there are various other, there's various other sections involved punching the leaves off a tree and learning some Tai Chi with an old guy in a park. Um, there's very little uh, actual combat on disc one, as I recall. Yeah, not very much. Well, I don't know what was on disc one because I've played the no, Xbox of version, course. Sorry, I'm yeah. trying to split it into. Yeah, I think I know what the chunks are. It kind of makes disc sense. one ends up with you meeting. Uh, apologies for pronunciation, and I'm sure some of the names are actually um, seem slightly different in the like Nozomi. The way they pronounce Nozomi in in Japanese doesn't sound like Nozomi at all. But maybe it's just the way Japanese people say it. But anyway, Shu Shu Ying Hong is it the uh, the lady master? Uh, oh, Le Shao Tao. Li Shao Tao. Yeah. Oh. Ah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, Chu Ying, yeah, or Ling. I may have written it wrong. Um, that's that's who you end up with at the uh, the Manmo Dojo, Manmo, Manmo Temple. Temple. Yeah. yeah, that's actually a real place. Yes, it is. Yes, uh, it's uh, up up those steps in uh, in that part of Hong Kong. I feel sorry for the person that bought a map for that section because <laughs> it's just Manmo Temple and yeah, two I, little I to- shops behind you. I totally did that. Um, <laughs> Now, uh, another, another another great sort of um, Shenmue moment came comes before that you finally um, reveal, you get the reveal of, and, the, you know, the progress, is that you spend quite some time cleaning soot off a wall. <laughs> uh, and you do this by walking up to a wall and pressing the A button. Now there's gameplay for you. There is gameplay, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, very strange. The walls aren't going to wash themselves, man. Yeah, but he does a really shitty job of it as well, doesn't he? He just, like, wipes a patch. That's why that's going to be more suit later on for him to wipe up. He loves it. He does love it. But uh, fortunately, soon enough, at the start of Disc 2, he gets to do another fantastic job, uh, which is carrying books. <laughs> that's painful. That's, that's so painful. Okay, I, I'm I'm glad you're 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 willing to say that, as, as somebody who's ostensibly a fan of this whole Shenmue thing. Um, this drove me... Every bit as mad as the crate carrying. It is very similar in a lot of ways. It it is. So um, stacks and stacks of books. You have to pay service to the temple um, to. I can't ex- remember exactly why, but to be you know considered uh, good enough to be told whatever you need to know next, I suppose. But these stacks of books, they're deliberately higgledy piggledy. So he puts one portrait and one landscape all the way up. And then gives you a time limit with which to stack these, take these books from inside to outside, um, and it goes on for days and days. And when you drop them, the guy says they can't take much abuse. It's like, nor can I. Stop it. <laughs> so yeah, there's another several hours of gameplay. Um, of course, it's QTEs when you start to lose balance, um, and arbitrarily, as with most of the QTEs in Shenmue, the longer you keep doing the same task, the harder the QTEs get for no apparent reason, I suppose. The argument would be, well, you're getting more tired, so, you know, it becomes more difficult, but fuck off. It's actually because there's bees down in shot after I does it for a short while. That's true, <laughs> and a few lizards and snakes. Uh, and there was a point where um, I got completely... Uh, I couldn't leave the uh, area of the town I was in um, and I had no money on me I had no there was no job there's no gambling there there's no arcade I had nothing to do but speed up time and wait which was rubbish frustrating at least you can speed up time and wait 
Yes, that's this is plan. that's another. Yes, that's a that's a very good point. Another addition. Also, another addition is that in the first game, it would occasionally give you the option if you you had to turn on the option to allow fast travel. But in Shenmue 2, basically, it gives you the choice when you leave certain areas uh, to go to a particular place of relevance, the place you were yesterday, or just leave from where you are without without any fuss. And again, that's a, a considerate considerate touch. Uh, this too comes to a close as you uh, meet Ren, or you have to raise the five hundred dollars to to uh, to meet Ren. I can't remember. Um, five hundred dollars might not sound like a lot, but um, depend. That was the thing we did sort of mention it. Um, you get all your stuff nicked at the start of the game, so um, yeah, Darren, you said as you said, forewarned is forearmed. Um, Explain to players who may want to tackle this game uh, the best way to 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 start Shenmue 2 the first time. Well, if you've got a save from the first game in which you made plenty of money, it's a good idea to go to any shop or gashpon stand and buy shitloads of material items. Because eventually there's going to be a kid called Wong and his little uh, street gang that rob Ryo blind. Yeah. But the only things they actually steal and use before you get your bag back is your actual paper money. Yeah. So all your items are still there, and then you can pawn them off for plenty of cash, and it'll probably save you going insane like Leon was, because the experience that he had was greatly lessened by the fact that I had enough money just to say, okay, I don't want to do this anymore, and I've got enough money that I can safely ignore it. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, I mean, and there are other uh, nefarious means with which to raise money, which I and I'll tell you something. This is slightly related, but that arm wrestling right at the start, I'd forgotten just how quickly you have to start hammering that bastard button. Oh, yeah, he beats you so just like that, doesn't he? It's I crazy. mean, the thing you is, like, you can't do lost. it early, and you've got like half a nanosecond to actually start hammering it when it, uh, when yeah. the fight kind of thing comes up. Yeah, so there's various arm wrestling. There's, there's, I mean, there's kind of it's kind of the Shenmue thing. There is a lot. There are a lot of um, you know things, pastimes you can do. Arm wrestling is one of them. You can do it for money. Yeah. And there's a place where you can build up. Uh, you can actually start with one opponent and work your way up the tables to more opponents. Um, the first round is always ludicrously easy, which suckers you in. Yeah. Um, which I, it may even be a deliberate sharking thing. But after round two, two onwards, perhaps onwards, uh, Darren's right. And, you know, he's saying this as somebody who I know has got better reactions than me. The the wi- the window with which you have to start arm wrestling or button bashing is minuscule. And uh, it's very easy to just quickly lose some money. There's apparently a way to automatically win before it starts. There's a little button combination you can push. Huh. But I don't know, it's meant to be uh, mimicking the over-the-top move from the uh, Sylvester yeah. Stallone film. I don't know if he's doing that, which means that you get a win a lot easier <laughs> but um yeah i think it's x a x a on the oh, xbox okay. pad um a split second before the round starts so i've never tried it so i don't know if it works but it seems to be a thing that's mentioned all over the place so <laughs> i think it's a little hmm. sneaky way that's interesting yeah i mean you, you quickly become aware all these various uh things you can do so you know some of them are for money there's there's still plenty that aren't like uh, obviously, for for every slot machine, there's also a um, a QTE arcade machine or a um, darts game or anything yeah. like that. And I mean, since the first sessions at a bot town, there's a lot of gambling related uh, activities. Yeah, uh, and you quickly work out sort of which uh, the, the the money to time ratio thing becomes quite quite important. And 
where a lucky hit unless you're you're clinically insane like dan and actually enjoy lucky hit <laughs> or uh you know you, there are better ways quicker ways of making money um but i suppose they... it's... It, yeah it's the pallets there's warehouse fight club as well isn't there but i don't want to break the first rule uh oh is there right yes up the is that the one at the steps or uh yeah on the yeah, on the top of the on the roof of the warehouse. Yeah, I did, again, I didn't partake in much of that, but of course, you more than make up for that in in disc. What is disc three on the Dreamcast version with uh, an extraordinary amount of fighting? Uh, obviously, we'll come to that. Uh, so, um, characters you meet in the first disc. Obviously, there's Joy, who's a sort of ginger-haired uh, foxy biker chick with a terrible theme tune and a hang-on bike and a hang-on bike. Which... Yeah, the theme tune, which kind of like has a fairly long intro every time that you meet her. Oh, by the way, Dan, have you been working on your impression of the f- the first uh, slightly inbred-looking guy who you? Oh, it's crazy? really difficult because it always turns into it's almost the same as the when Blanca finishes around. You know, the <laughs> <laughs> it's basically that, but with slightly different intonation. It's almost exactly the same. So yeah, he's uh, he's going Midian Hidari for left and right. He's got a kind of funny voice, but his straight-on thing just turns into this sort of strangled sound like he's <laughs> like oh him. see because you've played the japanese version and i've played the english dub so we're oh we're talking about different, different with, mm-hmm. yeah different sounds yeah. okay you gotta you gotta hear the um you gotta go on youtube everybody and listen to the guy there's 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 two guys you you can stack crates with um i've forgotten the name of the first guy but um, new one i think right and he looks like a a sort of inbred um simpleton <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then, niche, yeah, well, it, absolutely, and and the same with uh, Congo in Kowloon, who you get stat, stat crates with. He's a he's a kind of um, syntactically challenged um, ape man, <laughs> and, uh, um, but yeah, the the first guy has makes this noise. The, his straight on noise is is absolutely smashing. Um, I did tell you that it's absolutely not good. Yeah, that's probably that's probably the issue. <laughs> Although I don't think it really makes a difference in the crate stacking game because, as we've seen with the carrying the books, Rio would have done that anyway. Whoa, yeah, he would have made right a right told me. <laughs> yeah, that that is very true. Yeah, it's all a bit Chuckle Brothers, isn't it? It's like Chuckle Brothers, the video game to you, to me. It is very much like Chuckle Brothers. Yeah, it's probably all the blues that he was sort of received to the head by this point. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, they seem to have, you know. They've beaten the personality out of him, and then his physical motor <laughs> skills have gone gone next. Um, despite his lack of charisma, uh, Rio is hit upon by virtually every uh, woman he meets. Joy is no exception. She clearly uh, has the hots for him, just like pretty um, much everyone else. Apparently, um, I'm not sure how accurate this is, but I heard that she's the only car in the game with like more polygons on her posterior. <laughs> uh, only, only you would know something like that. So I heard. It's just um, I was looking up researching this as uh, I want to do. And yeah, good man. That's just one of the strange kind of uh, things I came across. Possibly it's for other female carters as well, as long as they're main carters. Yeah, but, uh, I, I, it's just. I think, um, uh, yes, yeah, uh, Tower looks like she's had a certain. Although she looks, she's kind of very smooth-skinned, almost like. Uh, go round shading or whatever but um yeah it makes sense um but then you know even christopher nolan wasn't shy of um lingering shots of anne hathaway's ass in dark knight rises so you know is it all right sexist pig it's a bit sexist but with the um the girls that fancy rio how old is fang may meant to be 14 uh okay then yeah fang may that's a that's a bit that's a bit dicey. I just wondered, because, uh, like, 
That's when, a school girl crush, but if it was oh, other way, it, is, it would yeah. just be no, you know. Uh, Rio, uh, and like uh, if Rio was going after her, that would just be like what the fuck is He just is hasn't got there? the imagination enough to act upon it. And Ouch. he's probably scared of Jill. <laughs> yeah, that makes more sense. Uh, the other thing is, okay, speaking about the romance options, like Joy's obviously into him, and there's a section in disc three. Mm. Now, you know that you can fast forward time. Yep. Okay, there is one day where you've got the whole date yourself, you've got a, right. a meeting coming up two days from the, yeah. the day that you started. So you've got this one day in which you can do anything you like. And if you speak to Joy during those days, she's like, okay, Rio, let's go to the restaurant. And he's like, fuck off. <laughs> How about going for a ride on my bike? Then I feel like it. How about going up to the top of a tower and looking at this beautiful view? Joy, what the hell are you doing here? So, you can't actually go over there, but you can skip the day. No problem, because he doesn't have time for Joy, but he's got enough time to ju- dive into the couch and just stare at the ceiling for an entire day. Yeah, which or is buy Gashapon toys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah totally. Yeah, um, apparently there's quite, and I think this there's a certain amount in the first Shenmue as well, but there are quite a few um, sort of secret, if you will, cutscenes or optional moments, interactions between Ryo and other characters. Um, there's fewer most... in, the, in Shenmue 2, but yeah, there's an awful lot in the first game. Are there? Okay. Yeah, yeah, I, I missed a lot because, you know, I was playing through it mainly for the show in, you know, the time I could find. Um, but I probably found more than I, more than I realised, actually. Uh, so Wong is another character. He's a little kid, um, but actually, as it turns out, um, you end up kind of you end up befriending all these people. Um, I wouldn't say he befriends Wong. He he he's always quite nasty to him. <laughs> like Wong will be like, "Oh, it's so good to see you again," and Rio's just say, "Yeah, <laughs> oh, just yeah, at least Rio's be nice like, to the kid." You nick my money. Oh, he was like that to everyone. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's just how he is. Uh, dead inside. Since uh, maybe a quick question here: um, Did any of you guys come across Eileen? I think her name's Eileen, isn't it? Who's Eileen? It's a blonde-haired kung fu girl that you can meet during one of the side quests. Hmm. No, I don't think so. Now, my memory on her is actually quite hazy. I mean, you've got to meet her to no. get no. to fight Nozomi. Uh, it's not. Is it Zayoi? The tomato convenience store girl? <laughs> no, yeah, I don't know. You can fight her as well. I had no She's reason to go prob- to a convenience store in Shenmue 2, I don't think. Yeah, um, it's just... I can't remember the location of it, but you can fight her anyway, and she's probably the most difficult opponent in the game. Really? Okay. Yeah, just like as a little side thing. But I was just... The reason I brought this up, I was wondering if like Eileen used Monkey Kung Fu, because um, I seem to remember she did, which would have been a precursor to Virtua Fighter 5's Eileen. Oh, okay. But, the, uh, but yeah. the first Eileen in Virtua Fighter 5 doesn't look anything like her, but she also does Monkey Kung Fu. Oh, okay. And I could be completely wrong. It just might be my brain playing tricks on me. But anyway, it was a good side quest regardless. And, uh, yeah. yeah. It would almost make sense. I mean, the guy under the tree who teaches you Kung Fu is a lot like... Um, I can't remember the guy's name from Virtua Fighter. Uh, you know, shouldn't the, he? The drunk... uh, yeah. yeah. Like, it's a lot like him. And we know that it was going to be Virtua Fighter RPG at some point. So yeah. there's no reason why it couldn't possibly be these people with different... Disc three of Shenmue Two feels very much like a Virtua Fighter RPG. It's the you know it's the one with all the fighting in your learning moves. Your your kicking. You can get some fights with the whole round one, round two kind of fighting game approach, don't you? Yeah, totally. Um, and the last character you meet, I think, in disc two is is Ren, uh, who um, 
Who meets you by slashing you in the face. Yeah, I was I was thinking that, because, um, you know... Uh, it's also one of the only QTs in the game that you can feel, and you continue onwards, regardless. Yeah, there's a few, and that that's actually one of my sort of problems I have with, with Shenmue, is that the the difference between failing some QTs and others is so stark. You know, some of them it is instant death all the way back to miles ago, mile, you know, miles back in the game. Some of them it's like, ah, you've messed that one up, but, you know, whatever, carry on. It, it Sometimes it will be back before a cutscene. Sometimes it will be back before you press the button. It's just seemingly so random as to how they punish you. Did, did anyone feel that QT? Because I got past it, and I'm just wondering, since like, the game continues... Um... Can't remember. Like you've just been stabbed as far as I'm aware. So, I'm not sure if that's the one. Is this the one where you take the five hundred dollars to meet? Me? Yeah, yeah. Um, I failed that, and I hadn't saved after getting the five hundred dollars. Ooh. Um, so it doesn't just it doesn't let you ah it does let you carry on, but you don't have you have to get the money again to oh. go and see him. So, <laughs> Fuck. I I went back to my previous save, which was near a gambling place, so I knew I could just do the Sorry if this is cheating. The same no, play big or small. No, we wanna, I want to talk about. I want to talk about the the whole big or small stuff because because um, yep. I did it uh, totally. But yeah, that was that yeah. was quite annoying. I mean, the first time I got the five hundred, I'd only got the last little bit from big or small. The previous stuff I'd done from lucky hit and oh. the crate carrying, <laughs> and then don't talk about yeah, it. stupidly hadn't saved because you know when they're leading you to Ren's place is when I got up to go for a coffee. I thought, well, I can hear the dialogue from here. Mm. Stupidly oh, not man. thinking there's going to be a QTE that <laughs> is going to involve me losing all of that. So, yeah, my fault. But Yeah, it's, um, I got caught in that a few times, forgetting that um, the gamers want to just chuck in a, a, you know, a crucial QTE in the middle of a, of a what you think is a dialogue scene. Or, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yes, you, your relationship with Ren starts on a... <laughs> on a bad foot um, but your relationship with Ren continues for the entire of the next two uh, well the, sorry the entire of the next disc I suppose disc three timing wise was he the first of the people that got way too into Pirates of the Caribbean and started dressing <laughs> like Johnny Depp yeah anyone want to describe Ren's personality other than his sort of yeah his sort <laughs> of uh, bohemian um, uh, new romantic stylings Yeah, he's a he's a gang leader, I guess, sort of. Um, but he's, I don't know, he reminds me of someone out of West Side Story or something. It's that kind of, he's got a very flamboyant side to him, and he doesn't. Yeah, his really reputation seem that seems to be worse than his actual. I mean, he, he, he can fight, but he's quite, he's quite, he can be quite lazy and cowardly. Yeah. Um, he reminds me of Michelangelo from the Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles. Ninja Turtles. What? Sorry. <laughs> Well, maybe it's the voice. Maybe it's that he is the kind of <laughs> slightly not lackadaisical, but the more loose of gang leaders, and, and that he's got a signature phrase which is "cowabunga." <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly the same. Yeah, that didn't make it into the uh, Pal Dreamcast uh, <laughs> text translation. The cowabunga, sadly. Um, yeah, he's. <laughs> it was actually one of the side quests you probably missed. <laughs> yeah, unlocks, <laughs> unlocks the catchphrases. Um, yeah, he's kind of uh, there's a kind of Han Solo-ish relationship going on um, with uh, so Rio is the Luke and Ren is the Solo. Um, yeah. Ren is motivated all the asides where, by treasure. Sorry, and you get all the little asides where um, Ren will have tricked Rio somehow, yeah. and then you just get 
Rio talking to himself saying that Ren. <laughs> yeah, all that. Yeah, that such lovely. as when you go up the the like kind of like destroyed building by risking life and limb over all these pieces of timber. Yeah, and then Ren just goes up the elevator. Yeah, that was fucking annoying. <laughs> um, oh, I had the key for the elevator. Yeah, uh, that was, and then a massive, was just like that Ren. Massive troll and a uh, massive. Uh, there's a long linger on Rio's withering face at that point, which was. <laughs> It almost needs point. a sad trombone noise over it. Yeah, it may as well. It may as well just done. So they end up um, in disc three uh, in the walled city of Kowloon. Now this is a place that uh, uh, I'm ig- uh, mostly ignorant about. I've obviously I've heard of it. Um, I've actually learned a little more about it from the game and reading up. Um, it's a really interesting place. Have you checked it out on YouTube by any chance? Uh, yeah, like I did. Yeah. Uh, and so in the uh, 80s, it was pretty much run by gangs and stuff. Is that? Accurate. It was or very, you know, high population of. Um... The thing is, I mean, there's so many little corridors within it. Like it's very hard to see the sky as well. Mm. But uh, it's something like kind of a hot bed for crime. You know, it's the kind of place that you could expect it to arise. And there's all these linking um, skyscrapers. You can get individual maps to, or, or tower blocks. Anyway, should we say um, it does have the feel of. Um, you know, Mega City one in that way, but it's also it's weird because it's set in these beautiful picturesque mountains, and there's this, there's this slightly sort of um, you know dystopic uh, city locked in the middle of it, and um, it it's a it's a fantastically uh, evocative real world setting. It could be something that had been created for a fantasy RPG. I think his, I think historically it. You're right. I don't know about the 80s, yeah, but I know yeah, historically yeah. it has been um, kind of a Moss Eisley type place, right. like with sort of pirates and villains and, and what have you. It's, um, I thought that was kind of mythology, but it could well be that that's what the place is, like this, like you say, dimly lit, dark place where all sorts of nefarious stuff. Mm. Yeah, lots of gambling as well. In, in the game, this is uh, lots of street fighting and stuff like that. Um, it's quite a lot of comedy in this section as well. Disc 3 sort yep. of... Has that sort of like buddy cop feel with, with Ren and Rio? Yeah, so they end up handcuffed to each other. I can't remember the circumstances. Um, but Dan, you found a, a clip of a, of a a nineteen eighty seven Jackie Chan movie. Yeah, um, when I played the handcuff, like there's two QTEs separated by a tiny little bit of something else, and I thought that really reminds me of something I've seen. Now, um, it's probably something that's been used in many comedy films. But as you say, this film is set in Hong Kong. Mm. and was made in 1987 and it features a scene with Jackie Chan handcuffed to a fellow cop um, and it's got all those comedy pratfalls mm. like when you fail the QTE it's got lots of moments that where the animation in Shenmue seems to very much mirror what's going on mm. in the film there's also, do you remember when Ren and Rio fall off the top of the building? It's a QTE oh yeah, yeah when you, when you very first chase him um, I'm not sure if it's in Project A1 or 2 which is the name of the series of films right uh, but there's the same effect there, except it's off a 60-foot tower, so a bit taller. But again, it has the effect of like this um, sort of bamboo scaffolding falling right. down. So I think there, there are maybe nods yeah. to that in there. I'm sure, uh, knowing Jackie Chan, he did it all for real as well and probably smashed his spine, spinal column out of his arse or something. Yeah, the, uh, the handcuffs actually really hurt the actors. Yeah. He's sort of it's dragging okay. each other around. It's okay. He's got a prosperous career and great logging, if that's the case. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um... Some more sort of uh, film noirish stuff where you end up uh, breaking into places and uh, finding oddly a, a waste paper basket full of wiretap 
uh, audio cassettes. <laughs> and uh, as uh, Dan pointed out before we started recording, he actually, rather than taking these cassettes or putting them in his pocket or his magical inventory bag uh, that he possesses, like most video game characters, uh, he just takes the whole bin, which is... Yeah, quite a minute. <laughs> It's quite a distance between the two places yeah. as well. Just walking just down the road with a bin full of streets. Yeah. No, that's kind of the thing. I mean, there's not much bins back there, so he just thought he'd kill two birds with one stone and save in the shopping. That's <laughs> true enough. Um, <laughs> He's a clever guy. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so you end up, there's a section where you're uh, playing a cassette on a, uh, actually, it's more like a 70s style or very early 80s style cassette deck. Uh, back at Ren's hideout, Kowloon hideout, uh, and there are various sort of Easter eggs hidden on this tape. You're looking for useful information to find out where uh, the kidnapped uh, Yuanju is. It, uh, yeah, yeah, Yuanju. Yeah, we should probably say at this point. Um, Ryu right. went to uh, to Hong Kong to find Li Xiao Tao. Mm-hmm. Because that was the name he'd been given as someone who could point him in the direction of Landy. Um, she refused to help him because she didn't approve of his uh, need for vengeance, uh, which is where the whole punching leaves off the trees comes into into it. Um, uh, uh, but she keeps monitoring his progress, and he picks up another uh, lead to That's find right. this who wrote a uh, martial arts expert called uh, Yuan De Zhu, uh, who, who's been kidnapped by the. Um, oh yeah, he wrote a note, didn't he? Uh, to to Rio's father uh, that arrived uh, a day or two too late to warn him about the fact that Landy was coming to kill him. Um, and so uh, Rio goes to find this guy and it turns out he's been kidnapped by the Yellowheads who are a, a gang in Kowloon who um, Landy uh, yeah, are in league um, with Landy in some way. Beautifully really put. I'm point. glad you're here. No, that, no you're right. I, t- I tend. That's the thing. It skips so over massive chunks of story to why in the tiniest cutscenes. They spend stuff. hours dragging out what seems like nothing. It's yeah. Really, really, really. Yes. Precious. Um. So yes, you listen to these wiretap tapes, yeah. and there's a, there's uh, you do eventually. Um. You, there's a there's an audio clue on there, which again is a classic sort of. Uh, film detective thing or there's a bell so I need to go somewhere where there's a bell and, and so on you pick it up from there that's fine um, there's also stuff on there there's like a, an infomercial for the afterburner coin op tells you where to find uh, the exciting new um, uh, 3D plane shooter from uh, Sega but of course uh, I actually depending this game can end at in July July is when it released, and the game re- and the, the game released in July. So generally, yeah. like I was playing January, February at this point, so it's an anachronism. But as as we've also pointed out, um, we used big or small, which could take out the timing somewhat as well, didn't it? Yeah, and Rio. Maybe they're thinking people went through the very slow ways of getting money. Rather yeah, it's true. And um, but of course, you know, Rio had a Saturn in the first game, and. Um, and you can get knights and virtual fighter and Sonic the Hedgehog the toys. In the so, first game, yeah. um, he plays a little fast and loose with that sort of thing. Maybe the knights and the uh, Sonic toys and stuff are a bit like when George Lucas says, "No, no, I'd already thought of that." Yeah, you could say, "No, Sega already had these characters. We just didn't make the game." Well, it, you know, um, you could buy, uh, you could get the Boba Fett Star Wars figure in 1979 before the Empire Strikes Back came out. It was a, a special yeah. thing. So, there's one of the messages on that tape that. 
I really love. Uh, I had to go and look it up on YouTube afterwards and watch it about three or four <laughs> times just because it's just such bizarre dialogue. And um, I don't know, I, we probably should have done this where two people say it, but do you mind if I just sort of put on a voice? Please, please you what do it entertain. Cool. So um, a woman phones up uh, a child welfare centre type place. I think he calls it the uh, Child Educational and Research Centre yeah, yeah. or something. Mm. But um, a, a mum phones up this place and says, my child won't eat. And he says, how old? And she says, 20. And he says, not you, the child. And it's like, what? A, it's like, wah, 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 another sad trombone moment. <laughs> but that's kind of what made me think that this disc has those comedy moments, like the carrying of the bin and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, combined with the, I think Ren and Rio is meant to be the light relief section of the game before you get to the very heavy fighting section later in the disc. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the idea. Is Kowloon as a setting and what you're going to be doing there is actually quite a, a downturn in tone, or, or certainly, a, yeah, I guess a downturn in tone is about the right way to put it. And I think, therefore, they've taken the sort of Jackie Chan um, school of thinking when it comes to serious or, or heavy uh, situations with a lot of gravitas of just a, a little bit of, of pratfalling and, and yeah, slapstick. Yeah, before we skip ahead as well, there is also a throwback to the first game if you look at the tape in the right place, which is a conversation between Joy and Chen uh, Guizhang. Just a little uh, neat kind oh. of thing, in which she's uh, saying that Ryu's kind of coming across like a samurai, and she's basically kind of burning him up. Oh yeah, she describes him as um, an interesting Japanese a samurai. Guy. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. That, that sounds like Ryu, alright. Yeah, yeah. So she, she's... it's not only that she's obviously got the hot when she's talking to you, but she's talking about you to other people as well. So, uh, and of course, Rio, the great detective, yeah. doesn't. But also have... that. No. <laughs> also, it gets across this sort of larger story that you don't even know about. It gets the like the feeling that hang on, I don't even know that the story's even started yet. All of that extra stuff that well, hang on, how did they know about me back then and this kind of thing. It, there is a larger plot going on that we don't mm. know about. I think that's every step of the way. It seems to be telling you that. that yeah. Well, that, we're I, just feeding you piecemeal, but in a nice the, way. The thing about that conversation that I liked was it just kind of seemed to like broaden the relationship outside your own life, you know? Mm. Yeah. Um, I mean, I like throwbacks to other cartels, and I think that just kind of did it quite well. So you end up uh, trailing uh, a member of the the Yellowheads, I think, uh, called Yuan. Uh, she the lady, the short-haired lady. Um, Yellowheads. Meant yeah. to be a lesbian. Um, wearing a fantastic 80s outfit of uh, zebra-striped trousers, I think it is, and a, and a leather waistcoat or something like that. You're making me nostalgic, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, those were the days. Uh, That's when you have to break into an orphanage oh, to yeah. try and mm. find her. <laughs> What are you doing, Rio? No, don't just open the door. <laughs> yeah. And he knocks twice before he opens it as well. It's like I thought, oh, he's going to knock, and then he just opens it anyway. It's like, oh, no. Yeah, the kid, the kid outside goes, uh, oh yeah, sorry, strangers can't go in there. And I was thinking, oh, like there's obviously some I've got to make. Yeah, something you have yeah, to do first. But he's just like, now nah, fuck that, I'm going in. <laughs> Did you spot the Sonic and Tails drawing on the wall there? No, good spot. Uh is um yeah, one of the kids has done it. A- Sort of very basic, like an MS Paint type drawing of Sonic. Uh, perhaps that was uh, development art. Perhaps it, that was the drawing that Sonic Team <laughs> were inspired to create uh, Project Needlemouse. Right. Maybe he was an orphan <laughs> yeah. in 19. 19- no, he would. 
Anyway. <laughs> He's a fast learner. Uh, there's a lengthy uh, QT sequence, I think, at some point when you're tailing one, which I've written too long. Um, uh, and at some point... Oh, yeah, that's right. I know the bit. Um, yes, it's a bit where you're following her around buildings as she goes into various shops and various places. Uh, round the corner. Um, there's a couple of bits where you have to do QT to avoid being seen or whatever. Uh, and then um, there's a, a QT which you can uh, fail if you're not quick enough. Um, and you get put back 90 seconds. I timed it. 90 seconds. Uh, which... <laughs> I think is a lot of that's you know it's 90 non-interactive seconds it's not 90 seconds of gameplay um, and Ren actually says I'm getting tired of this at one point and I thought I know how you feel <laughs> uh, why did the talking bird shop move to the roof <laughs> how so is the that birds could see the sky and torment oh yeah maybe torment oh, the yeah. birds it might have been an ethical welfare yeah, I think it was an unethical welfare issue because it's like t tormenting the birds showing them the very thing that they cannot have ah uh, possibly yeah, yeah. although we don't know how they would have seen those things in the 80s well we? in China especially they're not known for human rights let alone avian rights I like that the game uh, sort of acknowledges the um, the sort of rules of character design when uh, Rio's describing Yuan to people that he describes the one outfit she wears. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she always wears this leather vest or whatever. As does everyone else in the game. They have one outfit and stick to it, which with any sort of, especially with Japan. Yeah. 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 But um, I love when he washed it since well, he left Japan. I, that does actually cross <laughs> my mind quite a bit. Um, and, and there's also there's a, a comedy, you know, buddy movie moment bit is where when uh, Rio and Ren are handcuffed together, uh, Ren says, "Oh, I need to take a pee," and of course, um, instead of using his free left hand, he tries to use his right hand, which is handcuffed to Rio's. And uh, Rio does a kind of, you know, there's a bit of a kind of awkward, you know, not really, you know, don't really want to touch your cock kind of comedy. Not to put too fine a point on it, um, but the fact that Ren actually mentioned needing to go to the toilet made me think: here we are playing this, you know, twenty-four-seven, real-world, real-time. RPG. No one, no one. Rio never needs to go to the loo and never washes his clothes. Um, doesn't need to eat. Doesn't need to eat. It's the strange. It's the strange mixture of of the authentic and the mundane and the. Never and the applies hair gel. Yeah. Uh, as far as we yeah, know, the cats are the only things that need to eat in that yes. That is a, yeah. that is a very good point. Yeah. Uh, Did anyone else think, think Yuan's apartment looked a bit like Silent Hill? <laughs> like blood red ceiling and these weird stains on the walls and stuff it was like Ooh. well the game does and the music went a bit creepy yeah too. the game does start to head down a slightly more um, <laughs> supernatural path towards the end um, almost uh, so what comes next is the uh, the, the the ghost building uh, where to get up to the whatever floor it is of this particular building uh, there's the, there are two large set pieces on disc three, as it as it was on Dreamcast. Uh, both involve getting to the top of tall buildings. Um, this one, it's all about crossing planks. And what I found staggering about this, as well as it just being an excuse for shitty minigame after shitty QTE minigame, uh, was that if you didn't save in between each plank, even if you got to the top floor and then failed a QTE, you would be put all the way back to the start. Well, you did just die, you know. <laughs> but is it is that a good idea? 
No. <laughs> that, is, that is not. So you, No, it's patently not a good idea. You just end up but it's, abusing the save. It seems no. remarkable, and in this day and age it wouldn't happen, that... Yeah, that that wouldn't have cropped up in. But as I say, AM two are so inconsistent. That, that one, they'll send you back potentially thought, like fifteen QTEs or how many it is two planks per floor on some floors, and happily, you know, maybe it's fifteen minutes yeah. of gameplay or maybe more. I don't know. But then other times it'll be there's there's like fights later on where it's like oh you got ring you got uh you got a ring out against you okay start again go <laughs> and it's like fantastic that's <laughs> fine we'll do that. Is, they're, they're so and like the fights are I don't mind losing a fight and having to do it again because they're actually quite fun whereas plank plank straddling QTEs are just annoying just me do you think it could maybe be that there was almost an acceptance that you could punish players back then it's almost a, a part of game design that we don't really see so much now like we're going to make them play the unfun mm. bit if they mess the unfun bit up I know it's not very nice and I'm not agreeing with it but I think it was sort of part of design yeah I mean you know we're all people here we're all you, you guys are all in your 30s aren't you I'm, I'm, I'm in my 40s we, we all lived through you know those 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 days of gaming I go back a little further um, but I still think that the philosophy of Shenmue is inconsistent I think it's almost like if a game is brutal and hard and tough and punishing then you're, you know, you're kind of comfortable in playing that game. You know where you sit with it. But like I say, it's so random and arbitrary as to how much it punishes you for different things. We're, you know, jumping ahead a little to disc four, you're skipping through the woods with your new friend, Shenhua. The QTEs are now have gone way back in difficulty. They're much, much easier. They make a much friendlier noise when you get them right or wrong. If you fail them, there's barely any punishment at all. And yet you've just gone through disc three where it was just like, ah, fuck you, go back and do that 20 minutes again. To be fair, though, I mean, jumping across, um, running through the woods is generally less punishing on the body than like trying to climb up and, and potentially up falling the, uh, 15 floors onto a concrete floor yes I, that, that is true yeah. I take your point um, but again it sort of goes against typical game yeah, design yeah like overall design philosophy is all over the place yeah well, yeah we'll, we'll need to get on to disc 4 because yeah. obviously that yeah, I'm is surprised that when we were talking about Jan no one mentioned his hard gender yeah yeah I thought Yuan is a, well, is a, is a lesbian lady um no, Yuan yeah. is a man, which is that actually rhymes. Really? Yeah, like in the original Japanese release, it was uh, she had a male voice actor, but even in the European Dreamcast release, where uh, it was a Japanese audio, they re-recorded her lines with an actual female. Sound like a lady to me in wow. Japanese Dreamcast version. I mean, uh, and I'm sure she the PAL version. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm yeah, sure she. That's, yeah. a, that's what I'm you saying. The PAL version. It was re-recorded. Wow. With that actually... Yeah, like that. Oh, yeah, okay. That's amazing. In the, in the Japanese, Japanese territory, Japanese it was a male Okay, so it's a sort of like. homophobic. Uh, it's it's one of those. Sega have always been really strange about censoring things, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like Street to Rage 3. Like, Ash was a yeah. pretty appalling. Yeah, it is, yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about that, that in a month actual... or however many weeks' time it is with uh, Dan will be coming yeah. back on for that one. Yeah, famously so. Um, yeah, but it's just all those little weird censorship yeah. things to do. I mean, this one's. In fact, to be honest, it's no more uh, justified than a lot of the other ones, you know. It's mm. not a great portrayal of one, but it's just a guy that's 
kind of doing a very unconvincing uh, job. Of okay, so ra- rather than okay, well, yeah, easy mistake to make. It happens happens in, in Brighton a lot. Um, is it a lesbian or is it is it a cross dressing man? You can never be quite sure. Uh, so you get to the top of the planks. Um, I think that was probably my least favourite section of the game. Uh, and it gets really harsh towards the top as well. Yeah, I think, um, the difficulty of the QTs really ramps up the further up. It you does, get. and I have to say, um, although the, the you know I, I wanted to say you know, praise to Sega for the fact that my launch Dreamcast still worked absolutely hundred percent all the way through forty fifty hours of Shenmue whatever I played, and the controller still works uh, generally fine. But the D pad on on the Dreamcast pad is actually a little floppy, um, partly through age and partly through design. So it is possible to mean to press right on the d-pad but accidentally uh it just you know leans into the upright position and that's a fail so you can be punished even if you kind of feel like you were actually trying to do the right thing which is harsh with the 360 pad it's very much the same with the oh d-pad. god well yeah the of course the original so, 360 yeah, d-pad is is terrible um and the one on the the hamburger whatever it's called the original xbox pad would have been nightmarish as yeah. well the I lost count of the number of times I was shouting, I press up! Yeah. Or whatever. I guess the, you know, I've got one of the special edition 360 pads here with the improved D-pad. I would imagine that would be uh, an improvement. Yep. Yeah. Well, well, uh, and that is the point where we find out that Ren took the elevator. There's, there's no such issue. Uh, I put, for fuck's sake, and uh, brackets Rio's face. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was actually I was just thinking yeah actually I think there are moments in this game where I'm pretty sure that Yu Suzuki is basically trolling the player the third disc came across to me a bit um, a bit Suda 51 like mm. do you know what I mean with these um, um, very character driven people that you have to fight against like when you first meet that scout and he hands you the pictures yeah. I thought why is he giving me like WWF Panini stickers or something? <laughs> but, because, but they've got that kind of look like a very pantomime yeah. feel to yeah them. totally Just going back to the uh, the difficulty of the uh, of the QTEs. I mean, if I was being apologetic, I would say that the you're as you are climbing the the ideas that you're sort of coming at this mm. point to almost the climax of the 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 game, um, and therefore it should be getting to its hardest because you are literally struggling up this building, which which would get tougher the higher and higher you got in theory, um, and and obviously. It fits with the darker tone of Kowloon compared to the lighter tone that you go back. Well, you have been in previously in Aberdeen, and then yeah, um, you know the the lighter tone that when you get to to uh, Gulen uh, Village. So you can sort of see maybe that it was intentional to to make it harder and then easier in different places. But yeah, yeah. It, the, it the problem that isn't really the difficulty of the QTs, though. It is actually just straight up checkpoint. Especially for a narrative game mm. where they want you to see the story. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and you do end up yeah, saving between yeah, planks yeah. and then having to dive out to the... I mean, let's be honest, I mean, it would probably make more sense to go up the fucking outside of the building considering how shoddy the inside is. Yeah, you're not wrong, actually. Yeah, <laughs> get a grappling hook or something. The tiered structure, I think, of the building reinforces that arcade fighting style that it is... That it's almost like you're saying, look, it is a virtual fighter RPG, see, I told you. Like, but the tiered structure, you know, you get, like, it seems like a fighting game standard. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, yeah. that makes more sense in, yeah, in the, in the building arcade mode of any yet to come game, to yeah, the Yellowhead uh, building. But the, oh, yeah, yeah the ghost one is there's no yeah. actual fighting I mean, in there. It's just fucking planks. <laughs> just a quick aside there is actually another building that is in serious need of repairs. Well, there's like a fight kind of club thing going on. Yes. Like, um, yeah. The ring is yeah. actually the, the borders which you can fall off and die. Oh, that's right. Yeah, there's a, that's that's a, that's part of the story, isn't it? That fight isn't that the one with um, one of the. Oh. It is actually. I'd forgotten it was part of the story. Yeah, it's one of the three fights. Yeah, with the female fighter. Yeah. Uh, but again, you know, that actually that has a ah, that poor clone getting kicked to his death. A... The guy that looked exactly the same as about nine hundred other characters in the yeah, game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's um, but actually, the, the one of the things I wanted to praise and we'll do at the end is the the sheer variety of faces on the NPCs, the people of the, the towns is, is, is amazing. It's quite, it's surprisingly rare how often you come up to somebody who you've already, yeah, a face you've already seen. Yeah. Uh, so another character we haven't mentioned yet is Du Nhu. Du Nhu. Uh, who's uh, kind of, I suppose, the closest this game has to a boss fight. I mean, there, there are, you end up fighting mini bosses in the next disc, but um, this character Jun Yu uh, has Yuan Zhu. Uh, he's a sort of big giant. Um, yeah, a tank-sized uh, leader of the. Another element. note that I made, uh, a sort of striking moment, was, uh, and, and again, this is um, sort of the kind of uh, reveal that is is quite fun. Is you end up in a dark room sparring with. Uh, somebody who you don't know who it is, and it uh, it turns out that it's a somebody you've been walking past every morning, uh, a blind busker, who plays a Chinese violin. Did he ask you if he could play a song? Does he do that yes. for everyone? Um, but did you think it was going to have words and it was going to be something quite important and meaningful? And it turns out it's like this little four second jingle just with the <laughs> violin. No, doesn't he play? Doesn't he play something that? Isn't it a theme that is one of the main themes of the game? Does he? Oh, maybe I just didn't. Recognize I'm not sure. It. Which uh, which seems like a good time to bring in the fact that you pointed out to me the other day, and I'd never noticed this because I don't actually know what year this song's from. But Girls Aloud did a song called "Life in I... Cold Life," and and the it sounds like Wonderwall by Oasis, and apparently Noel Gallagher actually gets a credit on it. Um, but what I didn't know until recently is that the actual melody is very much like. Is it Shenhua's theme? The uh, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. What we think of as the, yeah. the main theme of Shenmue, like this, it opens with this little guitar riff that is almost, almost. identical for the first the, uh, the yeah for the first couple yeah. of bars, and then that loops throughout yeah. the song. So. I'll tell you, it's, it's a shame that the busker guy doesn't break out an electric guitar when you pay him. <laughs> <laughs> or he saves up for an amp over the time you're seeing him throughout the game. <laughs> I got myself a loop pedal. <laughs> Starts doing all this crazy techno. Uh, that is the nineteen eighty-seven. Yeah, he could have invented. Yeah, it could have been like Back to the Future style, where he invented genres of music uh, that were around <laughs> in the early two thousands when the game came out in the late eighties. <sighs> so uh, you, <laughs> after having got to the top of that building. Uh, I can't remember exactly how it's revealed, but you find out that you really need... The only way to get into the Yellowhead building, which you've learned this is where Yuandaju is being held at the top of, the only way to get in this well-guarded building, rather than just kick in the people who are outside the door like Rio would normally do, is to uh, get invited in by being scouted as a great fighter in the city. 
by a little man in a bowler hat. So first off, you have to th fight uh, three bouts just in and around Kowloon. Doing doing that, winning those, uh, gets you... It's a good job you do them in the right order, because otherwise he wouldn't have been there to see you win. <laughs> he's always there. He's omnipotent. <laughs> yes, he's a little like... Um, He's a little like a supernatural figure in that he's always there, but I think it's just a gameplay convenience rather than a the nod to his omnipotence. Uh, Either that or he's, got, or he's got twins. Yeah. Although arguably, if he's at your first fight, maybe he would follow you to the next fight to see if you were as good as your promise. True so enough. But what if, like what a, if you go off to the arcades a, or the Lucky Hit Stand for three or four days? Does he follow you there as well? Yeah. <laughs> uh, it might be like that Watson and Holmes <laughs> game where wherever you turn round, uh, Watson's behind you. Uh, Jack the Ripper, yeah. Yeah. Should also be mentioned that these people that you're beating up um, tend to have fighting styles based on Virtua Fighter Cardinals. Yeah, this is where like, the... Vir yep. Both Star and Sarah. That's exactly it. This is where the VFRPG stuff really starts to uh, kick in because these fights, rather than just uh, bog-standard generic fisticuffs, these are ring-based battles with fighters with styles. So... Yeah, Darren, what are you saying? There's one. There's one who's a bit like Sarah Bryant. Yeah, like the woman in the, in the broken down building I mentioned earlier. Yeah, who can? She's uh, got Sarah Bryant's fighting style. Mm. And there's a wrestler outside that um, fights a lot like Wolf from Butterfair, from Butterfair. Yeah, and these actually have uh, kind of techniques you need to learn uh, to actually. You can't just get away so much with just hammering your XXX combos or whatever. Um, you tend to need to use some dodges and I think at least one of them has a QT associated with it as well uh, and this kind of is um, tutor tutoring you for what is to come both your next bouts and uh, the end of the game so uh, once you've once you've done those three you get um, from the little bowler hatted scout man uh, these pictures that you mentioned before uh, one of them's a kind of slightly Hulk Hogan-ish sort of fat guy. Um not saying Hulk Hogan's fat, you know, just a big guy. Just in case he comes around. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. <laughs> um no, in case any of his insane fans listen. Uh there's uh uh another uh, yes, uh, the woman's one of the pictured ladies, isn't she? And um I can't remember the other fighter. Uh I like that you're worried about the calling tiger. Hulk Hogan fat, but not about calling his fans insane. <laughs> yeah, good point. Yeah, the other guy, I'm not sure if it was like part of this or if it was a side um, attraction, but there is one guy that's supposed to have killed a tiger with his bare hands. Uh, yeah, is he a so, big, big hairy yeah. guy? Um, there's a guy called Baihu, isn't there, who you fight uh, in the basement in a cage? Yeah, that's kind of the first little sign that it's going to get a bit weird and supernatural. Yeah. I know it's just makeup, but, yes, <laughs> but he yeah. doesn't look quite spooky and odd. Uh, so weird. I can't remember exactly how this transpires, but once you fought all these, uh, you, you know, you fought six people to get so far into the building. Then Ren comes and knocks the scout out once you're in, and then you, you, <laughs> um, Ren and Wong end up in the sewers together. Whereas I think you were being led in perfectly fine by the um, by the scout. So a bit unnecessary, really. But. Uh, it's because Ren's one of the Ninja Turtles. Of course. Donatello. Yeah. Mm. Michelangelo. All of them. Um, 
so there's this is the 17 floor yellowhead maze building uh, there's various sort of mini game styles in here there's QTEs not to be seen there's general bouts of fighting with suited uh, nasties there is it's like a Blues Brothers tribute band. <laughs> it's almost like Space Invaders. They're just like all these identical enemies just lining up to get knocked down. <laughs> yeah, and those are actually the, the fun bits. But there's also a kind of, um, there's a sort of stealth mini game involving running through conveniently flickering, rhythmic flickering lights. <laughs> uh, there's a there's a, uh, a QT or two where you get caught up with Bayou One who has a chainsaw. Um, and then you end up in a bizarre sequence of pu key puzzles, like Resident Evil-style key puzzles and elevators where, okay, so to get to this floor, I have to get in this elevator and go down to this floor. Then I put this key in this keyhole and go up to this floor. <laughs> and it's all very funny. It is very survival horror with the chainsaw and the puzzle. Yeah. It's, yeah. All, all genres to all people. Just throwing a bit in there. Yeah. And so, after all that, you end up on the roof. Uh... Joy. Uh, just before we get there, no, actually, one of the, sorry, I was just going to say one of the rooms that you enter on the way up has a has a puzzle involving oh, yeah. uh, going around the room and collecting some of those keys. I think that's and, right, and it's yeah. got yeah. eight different animal symbols. And and um, I had this weird moment when I was playing this game, and um, because. Obviously, you've got the two the two main animals, which are the the dragon and the phoenix for the mirrors, which are two of four divine yeah. beasts in um, in Chinese mythology, um, and they are four. Those divine beasts are four of the eight animals mm. that are in this puzzle, um, which are all sort of mythical animals in Chinese mythology. Um, and I started trying to compare these animals, especially the four divine uh, animals two or beasts i guess to um ah. to the characters in the game and and sort of went down this rabbit hole of trying to work out if the phoenix and the dragon were sense. rio and landy yeah. uh the the, the dragon Ryu, being Ryu means landy dragon doesn't and the phoenix it? So being rio, like risen from his father's ashes if you like yeah yeah or, or equally well whether the dragon and phoenix are two halves of rio because um li xiaotao talks about the fact that he needs to let his vengeance go and embrace uh the other side of himself almost um in a really really great scene that i like in um the mm. thousands yeah. Uh, yeah and actually you're right you have to building you have to in the fleece this room for how many eight keys or whatever but actually you only need five of them don't you i think three of them are complete Red yeah, hands. Yeah. Um, you have to put them into. I wonder if the phoenix and the dragon are possibly mm. um, a parenthood reference. Yeah. There seems to be like there seems to be a general theme throughout the game from the from the orphan cat yeah. in the first to right at the end with Shen yeah. talking about her mm. parents. I wonder if the phoenix and the dragon are maybe meant mm. to be like mother and father energies or something. Well, they are. They they oh, yeah, are yeah, part of, of yin yang uh, sort sense. of symbology as well. Yeah, yeah, very much. Uh, so, kind of, disc three ends up with what you would is the closest thing in Shenmue so far um, to a kind of Hollywood-esque uh, end sequence, isn't it? You end up on the roof with. Uh, I think that supports this fan theory that I brought up before that disc three is the end of Shenmue two and disc four is the first disc of Shenmue three. It seems. Uh, I'm almost a hundred percent certain on that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm. Yeah. Having played it now. It makes sense. Like you come in on a boat. I know we, I'm not trying to skip ahead to disc four, but you come in on a boat yeah. on disc four, 
which is echoes, and it's almost the same camera angle as the ship coming in yeah, at the beginning of Shenmue 2. Yeah, it feels like a new game. And um, as you were saying, with the QTEs getting easier on disc four, I think it all kind of yeah rings into that. Yeah, I think I think that I, I, that yeah, I would sense, I would yeah. put a large amount of money on that being being the case. Um, so this rooftop fight uh, after QTEs uh, is with uh, Do New. Um, and yeah, you know, it has uh, the the sort of classic moments of um, thinking he's won, but then uh, new kind of getting enraged and and then seemingly being unstoppable before Rio kind of remembers some of the teachings of uh, particularly of the Wudu, I think, um, from things he's learned up to this point in the game. And again, this sort of ties very much in with the Virtua Fighter RPG stuff. The idea that he's He's been practicing his martial arts. Uh, he's become Jural. He's learned all the moves from all of the other people. Yeah, the actually, that's that's yeah. It's all like that. Um, now, okay, this is too probably too obscure reference, but there was that Japan only uh, game uh, Street Fighter spin-off where you played a uh, uh, an, a cyborg who um, studied the moves of the fighters. I think it was based on the anime. Anyway, forget that. Um, <laughs> so uh, you fight uh, the big fella sort of normally as such. And uh, actually, Ryu, I found by this point, is is incredibly powerful. Um, this may be one of the advantages of carrying your save over from the first game, because I found that a lot of the actual standard brawling fights, the Streets of Rage-style fisticuffs, were incredibly easy because uh, Ryo's moves were all pretty strong. I think they're incredibly easy anyway. Okay. Really. I'd started from a from a new save on the Xbox version, right. and there were no fights that were really mm. that gave me any trouble. I think there were one or two that I had to try twice. Yeah. But other than that, not. Yeah. But obviously, you had extra moves from carrying over your save, I guess. Uh, yeah, possibly a few. There's certainly, I know, there's there's plenty of moves you can find win by throughout Shenmue 2 that I simply didn't bother because I knew I wasn't going to need them because I I knew there was never, even if there is a Shenmue 3 ever um, it won't use my save from my Dreamcast VMU so I, I really can't be asked to uh, if they did if they did do it with, with an adapter even though I, I, I haven't loved my time with the Shenmue games um I think I would have to do that just to see see them importing my VMU save if they released a little USB dongle that you could plug your VMU into. Now I'm saying it out loud, it doesn't seem like the most insane idea that's ever been done in gaming. I mean, you can still transfer if you've got um if you've got every edition of Pokemon going all the way back, there are ways to transfer all your Pokemon up to the latest versions. So it would annoy Sega fans, but the Xbox has a USB port, so Xbox players it could quite easily do that, I guess. Yeah, that's true. It, it's worth saying, though, Sega have sort of <laughs> repositioned themselves yeah. away from retail sort of physical media in favour of digital, so that that would seem incredibly unlikely that they would yeah, actually I'm sure they go to the point They still of have some money though, because they just, the disc, they just bought a relic, didn't they? Put... So, in the THQ fire sale. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yes, a, a Twitter conversation on that very matter, because I was surprised, because Sega, not all that long ago, sort of refocused themselves on their three or four key sort of 
franchises and said they were going to go strong. mostly digital and ignore um, physical media. But well, they, I, I was, I what, was, what people pointed I out to me that sometimes they don't remember is money, um, football manager is. Them, so is is a disc yeah. release that is massive for them and also the total war games yes yeah and of course they go through steam which is yeah. digital yep absolutely um, yeah yeah it's all uh, so semi 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 off topic uh, but sort of relevant uh so yes uh we actually get a glimpse of lande uh at the end uh our one and only glimpse. yes hanging on a chopper hanging on the ladder of a chopper, he was just about to uh, do new. The man who you're kicking in was about to be kind of bestowed some sort of um, honour from Landé, but because he sees Rio kicking the shit out of him, in what becomes a QTE, a set of QTEs in the end after the, the regular fight, uh, he flies off. It's actually because he didn't have enough petal on the chopper to land. Oh. Yeah, so they could have actually, you know, all it would have taken was a minor remix of, of if they, you know, you do wonder. But then they couldn't have made Shenmue 3, could they? <laughs> that's, this, that's exactly <laughs> what I was about to say. Like, what they could have done, if they'd been willing to scrap Disc 4 altogether, they could have just had Lande land and have a fight with him. And that would have been it. <laughs> yeah, just push him off the thing. Like, no, mm-hmm. as he falls, perfect Hollywood yeah. ending. Um, then oh. there would have been no... And then they would land on a car. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. There would have been no wee, mention of wee. no mention of Shen the Shenmue tree <laughs> at all whatsoever. <laughs> it would sprout uh, from his body. Come on, use some imagination here. <laughs> <laughs> so uh we we say bid farewell to the gang of um misfits and rogues that we befriended sort of throughout the including Wong who sadly wasn't thrown off the building before <laughs> Rio arrived Wong, Wong lives uh, I think there's a suggestion that we may <laughs> we may see some of them again in future episodes of Shenmue I know you don't love Shenmue but did you enjoy the characters throughout that third film? I didn't hate them <laughs> it wasn't the worst thing about the game I, I think it's a strange <laughs> thing because I found Absolute the game immersive and atmospheric, but it's also, I find, like, I know that Shenmue lovers listen to this are going to totally disagree with this, but I found it a little cold. I find the game a little wow. emotionless. And I like the way that the lines are spoken and uh, the blank face of Rio throughout the entire series does kind of lend itself towards that. Yeah. I think there's uh, like a heart underneath it. It's just that the way that the performances tend to come mm. across yeah, kind of smothers them at birth. Yeah, I certainly yeah, um, was a big part. I of certainly, that, I think, you know, wasn't. Well. Yeah, oh fuck, here's one. Oh fuck, here's joy again. Oh well, you know, it's not like that. It's, they're not like maddeningly irritating, like say, you know, certain space marines in certain Western games are. Uh, but I didn't like them as much as I wanted to, and and I think the fact that Rio is a bit of a charisma vacuum. The real thing is that, personally speaking, I really liked the characters, but it wasn't for what they were saying or doing. It was just I like quite like their designs for the most part. You know, they were kind of colourful and flamboyant in a lot of ways. Yeah. Mm, mm. Um, I like I kind of like the style that they kind of had, but um, the, the the way that they actually acted just kind of felt a bit stilted to me. Yeah. So we end up in land in China in uh, Guilin. Uh, was it Languishan? It's both. One of them is the region, one of them is the area. I, I yeah, Guilin. They call it Guilin Village, but then there's smaller villages Bailin village within yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it really does. You 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 pitch up at this place off a riverboat. Um, it's yeah. all green and lush and verdant, and uh, it really does feel like you're entering, starting a new adventure. Uh, even though obviously you know the story continues. And basically, you start walking towards this uh, village that uh, you have been led to believe that Landia was heading towards, and there may be more clues towards you know the whole thing that's going on. A little way into your walk, a storm begins, uh, the river starts torrenting, and you see a girl dive in after a white fawn. Um, and Rio, being a um, charismaless hero, uh, but with no thought for his own regard, dives in after her. Uh, and then drowns, and then the Shenmue series prematurely <laughs> <Indeed>. ends. <laughs> uh, and again, maybe that would have, you know, in some ways that would have put a lot of the biggest Shenmue fans out of their misery because that would have been the end of it instead of the endless hope. You would have missed an hour of sort of pseudo-philosophical like talking, though. Yeah, so there's a lot of talking on Disc 4. Um, there's, I kept expecting something dramatic to happen, but actually um, there's a... Uh, there's QTEs related to simply walking along or, you know, trotting along. Um, there's a <laughs> mini game of collecting firewood. It's literally walking into a cave, looking at a stick and pressing the pickup button. Do that something like nine times and the game can continue. Uh, very strange. Um, but not a little, you know, I, I generally found Disc 4 more charming and enjoyable than, than most of what had come before. Shenhua and... Rio talk a lot and so you actually get you start to get a sense that Rio isn't quite such a a, a yeah charisma bypass victim really a little yeah I think so he opens up he's the, uh, Shen Hua's the first person that he sort of opens up to yeah he actually order. seems to want to talk to her rather than wants to be all distant. he asks her questions which is the first time well other than related to his own That's tasks right. It's the first time he's ever asked questions, and you have a choice of the questions to yeah. ask, just to find out about yeah. someone, just to learn something about someone. And... Well, not not least of all, because this girl and the tree have been in his dreams yeah, for yeah. the past... Yeah. We'll go with Months. games rather than any sort of defined timeline. But the past two games, and this is... And this is the sort of the real indication that there is something extraordinary or supernatural going on because obviously these dreams are prophetic and that brings in certain amounts of mysticism or yeah. you know certainly questions that Rio must have over what's going on. Um, and why yeah, these and there is there should, is a lot of walking and talking connected um, to him in some but, way. Uh, as I say, I actually found it surprisingly, I found it less boring than the bits where there was more annoying action because. It felt like, you know, you were actually getting somewhere, and maybe not in the story, but as I say, it, uh, as we, uh, most of us are agreeing, I think, in terms of characterization of, of, of the protagonist. Um, there's there's some there's some maze stuff, uh, which is, you know, is basically fairly linear. You can't really get lost, but the the actual events of this disc, apart, you know, after the, the drama of the storm are pretty much uh, walking and walking and seeing bits of the woods and walking some more. If the characters in Journey could talk, I think it would be a lot like this chorus in mm. mm. And they'd say a lot of the same sort of spiritual type stuff. <laughs> actually, I would actually quite happily swap the two roles so that you could have um, Ryu and Shenhua <laughs> <singer>. just chirping. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, just chirping with each other, you know? 
for about two hours as you walk up a mountain. That's yeah, I think I still got more. From Why the are we not in the the business of designing games, multi-million dollar games? I think I st- because Shenmue Three hasn't come up yet. <laughs> I think we're proving every minute. Yeah, I mean, we would have put save points where it would help games. people and all sorts of <laughs> crazy, modern, stuff. pampered nonsense. Yeah. Uh, eventually, <laughs> they arrive back at uh, Shenhua's house, and there is an enormous uh, Sakura festooned tree there, which she says is the Shenmue tree. Um, she is called Shenhua because she was named after it, basically. Yeah, she's. Uh, she used to rock under it. Uh, she says it's significant to her. It feels like it's a guardian tree with a spirit. And Rio actually says, do you know what? I actually feel like this tree has some sort of spirit myself. Which is the closest thing that he will ever get to a chatterplane. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, looking around Shenhua's place, he finds a diagram of the mirrors, which we know to be extremely significant. And uh, Shenhua says, oh, my dad will know about those, but he's away working at the working down pit. But I'm going to take going to take his lunch to him. So if you come along, we'll ask him about the whole mirror shenanigans. But uh, of course, when they get there, they get to this cave. It's another great location. Uh, he's not there, but he's left a note saying, um, what is it he says? He's kind of saying, oh, yeah, I've done my work's done. So bye. <laughs> like all great fathers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're fine now. Um, she seems to read it in a very matter-of-fact yes. way in the English dub. I'm not sure how it is in the uh, Japanese. Similar, actually. That's, a, that's the thing. One of the reasons that I think Ryo gets on so well with her is because she's almost as charismatic as he is. <laughs> yeah, good point. Yeah, except she's sort of more loving with it. Like, they're yeah. almost like the phoenix and dragon themselves, aren't they? Yeah, and obviously... He, I wonder if they would have had a baby. They, they, yeah, they have, um, they have things in common. Uh, her parents are not her biological parents. Uh, they both lost their mothers very young. Um, she is uh, incredibly ignorant and naive to the world outside her world. Uh, Rio is sort of naive and ignorant about her world. Everything. Everything. Do you think <laughs> anyone, even even in uh, the tiniest village in China in 1987, would have not known about Japan? I wasn't sure if that was like realistic mm. or not. I think I got the sense that she knew there was a place called Japan, but that was about it. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I. Also, again, it could be differences between the English dub and the intonation of her voice yeah, when she says it. Yeah, uh, and yeah, stuff like she's never seen the sea and things. That's quite believable for somebody who lives somewhere very isolated and cut off. I know people in Birmingham that have never seen the sea. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Um, so there, uh, <laughs> some more sort of is almost. Uh, this is where the game almost takes a sort of uh, Indiana Jones or more more contempt contemporaneously uh, Uncharted style uh, where would you light some lamps and and uh, reveal that the cage that the cave there's you plug something in a, somewhere and open up there's big mechanisms and there's giant wall carvings of the of the mirrors you put a sword in a thing and the ancient mechanisms start to rumble and suddenly all this um, this is, as I say, this is where the almost supernatural stuff comes in. We've not seen pretty much, apart from maybe old uh, Gollum in the first game. Uh, we've not seen a lot, uh, but this, the the sword actually hovers out of its slot, and there's sort of green magical sparks and stuff coming off. Uh, did make me wonder if Shenmue Beyond had happened. Sort of, would it have? 
moved away from the thing that made people love it so much, which was the very grounded real world stuff, whereas, you know, most RPGs are, are more fantastical. I doubt it. I mean, unless Ryu was walking down the street with a floating sword, you know. Yeah, I think that's the thing. The, the, the mirrors clearly have some sort of supernatural properties to them, but the the mirrors actually being linked and joined together seems like a sort of end of the series type moment, um, almost a bit like Indiana Jones, where the supernatural yeah. just comes out at the end and it's not really a factor in mm. most of the story. It's more like, as we've said earlier, it's more like a MacGuffin. Um, yeah, I mean, whereas, the, all the supernatural you know, stuff seems to like bookend uh, kind of like the bits that we love and love, you know so. events that had any kind of meaning. You know, like you get you go through a lot of fairly realistic kind of stuff, and then once you get mm. to what you're looking for, you'll get a nice little supernatural section, kind of signifying just how important it is. And then I'd assume you would be back into the grime and muck of uh, real world very yeah. shortly afterwards. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. They would have. I'd love to know where it would have ended up. But from the very first moments of the first game, the fact that Landy wanted the mirror so badly means there must be something to it other than monetary value or sentimental value. Like, I'm not sure that it ever... I think it, it was never explicitly mentioned that there's some supernatural reason behind the mirrors, but the fact that he wants them that badly, I think, kind of sells that from the, from the off. Yeah, well, it's, it certainly leads you to ask, what what are these mirrors? What do they represent? Even if it is almost a sentimental or a display of power for him to have both mirrors, just because of their cultural or historical importance. But no, it certainly means that when you find out there is something uh, supernatural or mystical going on with them, it's not entirely surprising because that now just explains why Landy wants them so badly and also why there are so many people that Rio has met through the journey, who want to keep the mirrors safe and apart. You just kind of made me realise that I had presumed from the very start that they had kind of some kind of great supernatural significance to them. Like, I just took it as granted as that these weren't just uh, tokens of power, they actually had power of their own. Hmm. I I didn't really... No, I think Hmm. I was the other way. I think I I assumed that they were, yeah, uh, they represented something, but I wasn't necessarily expecting actual... Uh, yeah, supernatural powers, magic. I thought they were worth fucking loads of money. Yeah, it could have been just worth... No, but they, I don't know. Yeah, like, you know, they could have been extremely <laughs> symbolic. And But even if even if it had been about... Even if they had been Maybe a Resident Evil style, and... you know, lock for... Uh, I'd love if you turned it around and it'd been one of those mirrors that makes your face look a bit different. <laughs> like where it stretches your face. Yeah. I think chances are that Landy and Iwao kind of <laughs> got it in the same dig site, and Landy was just really unhappy that uh, Iwao took it away with the consent. What actually is the cliffhanger, really, at the end of Shenmue 2 that people want resolved? At the end of this couple? Yeah. What, what actually... Because, okay... Yeah, there is... No, that... that disc 3 there yeah. is. Like, the bad guys just got away on a helicopter. Disc 4, Cause, drab kind of just yeah up. so like yeah there's two giant carvings of this uh, this item that Shenhua's dad so I suppose the the only real cliffhanger as such is that's a nice reveal yeah, but it's not a no it's not it's more like oh I wonder wonder what this is wonder how this is all connected I, I think it's more about that isn't it it's not it's it's not a cliffhanger in the sense that you know somebody has you know a plane crashed and we didn't see whether Rio dived out of it or in time or whatever um, but the story is not resolved. 
it's not on disc mm. four, but another um, another end, not ending, but another point towards a proper ending for Shenmue two, is we've missed a massive reveal about Landy, mm. and about his father and Rio's father. Oh yes, which we'd kind of had hinted at before, but yes, that's quite a nice reveal at the end of disc three as well. Yes, so uh, it is revealed that Landy is actually uh, was actually on a revenge mission when he killed Rio's father in that he believes he was wronged by him. So it's not as clear cut as Landy is just evil and killed Rio's dad for no reason. And likes and mirrors. Likes mirrors. Yeah. So it may be that there's more to Rio's dad's history. And there's, uh, there are a few hints to that throughout the Shenmue two. Um, but nothing. That that said, at the beginning of Shenmue, it seems to be all about Landy getting the mirror, and that's why he seemingly why he kills um, Uau. You know, it, yes, you do find out that later, but it it still yeah. means that he walked in there and murdered yeah. someone to find a mirror. Essentially, is is why he did it. Um, yes, okay, he's got the extra motivation, but it, 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 I don't think it. It it doesn't change my opinion of Landy so much as it opens up questions about Uau and, and what he means to Rio now that he's found out that perhaps he wasn't the man he thought he was. Landy's still the bad guy. There's still, you know, there's still there's not that much more complex to to complexity to his motivations. Thinking of the time scales of this now, this is um, this is one of Dan's crazy theories, but um, now. If we if we assume that they did reference Project A two, this Jackie Chan film, mm. um, there's a point in the first one where they discuss fleeing to Vietnam as part of the plot of the film. Now, um, <laughs> thinking of the timescales, I wonder if the Iwao and Landy's father beef was something to do with Vietnam. Oh, and, wow. and again, that's only like it's um, <laughs> only positing something off the top of my head. But I just kind of wonder if that's where the game would have ended up after there, because we've been from like. Japan, through to Hong Kong to China, and it was only when I saw in this Jackie Chan film that they discussed fleeing to Vietnam. I thought of the ages of the people involved, mm. and I just wondered would that have been one of the locations. So I'm not saying it would have been, but but I'd love to hear what people think. Fighting with the Viet Cong, and one of them. I think I think it would be quite a twist if it kind of gave a flashback to Rio's dad holding a machine gun and just gunning down villagers. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah, the potential is endless. Uh, yes. Yeah, so sorry for that aside. It's only no, that I like, thought, you never, you never know. <laughs> because we Maybe will never that, know. Probably. The whole thing is just based on that movie. <laughs> it's, just a, it's just a Jackie Chan <laughs> remake in video game form. He loved, yeah, like Yu Suzuki loved Project <laughs> A series of Jackie Chan films and Lord of the Rings. He was like, how can I combine that with people walking up a mountain and talking for hours? <laughs> I know. And Gollum. And then, yeah. and then he yeah. did it. Yeah. I think we've I think we've busted wide open. <laughs> the truth at last. Dom's beard says from the forum. <laughs> the second game sells you being a fish out of water very well, and for the opening two thirds is a brilliant continuation of the quest. I had my issues with the final third. I thought it was far too slow and wound down the tension that had built up after the fantastic cage fights you had. The final fight versus Master Baihu, then defeating Du Nu finally to then see Landy was amazing and to then go into a quiet village and pick up twigs was a big letdown maybe at the time they were saving things for Shenmue 3 or as we discussed you were actually already playing Shenmue 3 that's 
me interjecting there. Would I recommend people play it now, says Dom? Absolutely. I'm looking for it. just like to interject here again. <laughs> uh, Dom's beard is saying that, having not played it for a long time. I know this. He says, I'm looking forward to hearing Leon's thoughts on them compared to mine, as a lot of it will seem archaic or even boring in comparison to games nowadays. It deserves an HD collection. It's a highlight of my gaming history for me, up there with playing Super Mario Bros. 3, Mario 64, Ocarina of Time, Mass Effect, and Skyrim for the first time. Let's start them all. <laughs> Delboy 2K says, First off, hooray! The English... <laughs> the English... Close enough. The English voices English. have disappeared and... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have disappeared and been replaced with Japanese. <laughs> this voice work could also have been incredibly poor, but because it was not English, I could not really tell. Shenmue 2 was all about more. More cartels, bigger places, and new things to do. The story got darker, and if my memory serves me, the tale was told in a more linear fashion, something that suited me at that point. The action sequences also became grander, instilling a new sense of spectacle, and that final battle through the yellow brick building, I think that's the name, Yellowheads, is still a standout memory for me as a genuinely excellent final section. The thing is, I found the game much harder to get into. The start seemed to be really slow before anything of note kicked in to grab the player, and by then it had almost lost me. By the end I had become hooked again, a testament to how well it had managed to bring me around after such a poor opening. Fair enough. Mike Leddy says, First the good stuff. With the exception of the joy theme, uh, the music is almost always great. The fighting feels like a real improvement. The quick wait option removes so many issues I had with the first game, and the book airing job arguably works in the context of the story. Uh, (laughs) Shenmue 2 is no better represented than by its yin and yang cutscene late in the game. Most of Hong Kong, especially in the early sections of the game, feels awkward. I even got some vibes of xenophobia, but on the flip side, it still works with its scaled-back detail and sufficiently captures the atmosphere of key locations. The Golden Quarter and Manmo Temple, for me, were good approximations. The small money-earning jobs are frustrating and, for the most part, pointless. I utilised the bigger-small trick to amass a small fortune to avoid these issues. I felt the story to be a slow burner, though the cutscenes frequently have interesting camera angles and generally strong direction. Parallel to this, the gameplay never had any serious lulls like the first game and felt quite active, its culmination being the Yellowhead building and the long overdue appearance of Landy, which I can also testify to being a classic moment. The final act begins as a genuinely interesting direction to the game, but drags on for so long that it diminishes the welcome revelation of where the game got its name. The ending was frustrating and shows a direction I'd be less enthused of should a Shenmue 3 ever come to fruition. The most glaring issue with this game is how it takes the QTE popularised in the first game and manages to destroy its foundations so easily with uh, a series of frustrating applications and a steep learning curve. As a mixed blessing, I played the Xbox version on the 360 where glitches can be a small issue, though easily remedied. The camera facility is actually useful, some shots from the cutscenes are stunning, Uh, and the emulation of arcade machines strong enough to satisfy retro cravings. The voice acting in particular in this particular version is shoddy with extremely dated dubbing conventions even cropping up during the game's final hours. Uh, he finishes up by saying, I, I want to be harsh on the game, but it manages to scrape that by with being dumb. equally brilliant and shockingly <laughs> shit. <laughs> the, <laughs> 
the underlying thought to holding the gate this game above average is that the creativity on offer is the stuff that keeps me invested in this hobby the risks it takes are miscalculated but brave and as much as i'm happy with the yakuza series i still feel there's some potential in this series I'm overwhelmed that I've finally ticked this game. I'd love off it if equally, it's equally brilliant and shockingly shit was a box quote that Sega would actually use. Um, <laughs> yeah. On the HD remake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> equally brilliant dot 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 Mike Lady. <laughs> um yeah, just on ah. the, the he mentions the camera angles in the um mm. the cutscenes. Uh the the cutscene that I briefly mentioned earlier in the Thousand White Convent between uh, Li Xiao Tao and um, and uh, Rio is I, I think it's just fantastic. She's talking about uh, it's a lot of sort of philosophy, but she's talking about her past um, and uh, yeah, it's I want to say she's talking about her brother if I remember correctly. Um, but but the the way it's framed and it's all in this uh, convent, which is it, it's almost a chapel on one floor of a of a building in Kowloon. Um, and all the while, it, it's just got light streaming in through the uh, through the windows. It just looks absolutely fantastic. Mm. It really does. Yeah, another it, thing that came up there that we have touched my upon, lasting memory of expanding upon is, uh, as for making money, there is a pure way to play the game, which is to you know keep working away at the the jobs and then taking that money and then potentially risk it on gambling or you know keep making more or a combination of, of both uh, but there is the way that uh, many people will choose which is to uh, there's a couple of places in Kowloon which have pretty high odds high stake uh, gambling games one of which is kind of like a, a roulette and it's a ball in a china dish and the other one is simply a dice rolling games so, uh, very straightforward indeed um, you can bet up to $500 a time and you can save after you win and reload if you lose uh, I ended up can you bet 500 in Calvin? yeah uh, see it's only 50 yeah. back in Hong Kong yeah there's a little okay. hidden away corner place um, in Kowloon where I ended up with about 7,000 Hong Kong dollars which I now have most of left and <laughs> will never use but there you go uh if only I'd known that, it would have saved me a lot of time because I did a lot of big or small before I left yeah. Hong Kong, thinking I know I knew that I'd need the five thousand for the paying my way up. You know where you have to pay, pay for, for, the, for fights, the fights yeah. you're entering. Yeah. yeah, I knew I'd need that, so I went through the whole big or small thing where I could have just done it like three or four times probably. Yeah, it's in Kowloon. Darn. I wonder if you know you come away with uh, a greater sense of satisfaction from doing it the real way, and maybe not loading and reloading on the plank QTs and stuff like that, but. Fuck off! <laughs> it's it a great sense be. of frustration it's, rather than satisfaction. Yeah, it's just not fun enough. Uh, so Shenmue Three has been sort of announced and cancelled on more than one occasion. Is that accurate? Yep. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Is that it? <laughs> yeah. um, well, it has been. Um, they've. I don't think it's ever been officially cancelled. Right. But it's, has it ever been officially announced? Sort of. Yeah, that's a very good so, point. I mean, they certainly said it beforehand, but after Shenmue 2? Yeah. Um, it's, I don't, you know, there's, there's, it's not like, um, you know, you can actually see video of the, the uh, fairly late stage Saturn version on, on, on Shenmue 2 disc. Uh, certainly Shenmue 3 never got into proper development in any way. Um, well, unless 
Disc four is Shenmue. That's a very good point. Three, disc beyond <laughs> beyond the bit that's actually in Shenmue two, yeah. Uh, it does now seem very strange having now. I didn't know any really anything about that disc four, and it does feel more strange now. Even though I'm not going to lose any sleep about whether there's ever a continuation of the story, uh, having played that bit, uh, even though it doesn't end on a cliffhanger, it does offer up more questions and answers, and it does feel like the start of something grander and and potentially more, you know, globe-spanning and stuff. It does feel like a weird place for a game to end, and I totally understand how frustrated people who really loved it must feel for it to have just ended there. Uh, There's a Japanese mobile-only game. Yeah, it actually got shut down sometime last year. Okay, it was going to be called Shenmue City. And uh, nobody knows anything about it. (laughs) I'm noticing that on this list there's no mention of the Shenmue online game developed in Korea. I don't know much about that. Oh yeah, good point. That That didn't see the light of day either, did it? No. I don't think it was actually finished, but it did have a pretty sweet CG movie that they put up on YouTube for anyone who wants to take a look. Yeah. Um, com- it's really incredibly cheesy, you know? It's like got a guy tapping away on a keyboard for about three hours. But it also has a pretty cool kind of rooftop fight scene between Ryo and a bunch of nameless goons with Landy and Joy at the side watching. So if you like uh, CG stuff, check it out. So, and this, what form would this have taken? This is an MMO type. Yeah, just yeah. a straight-up MMO by the looks of it. Mm-hmm. Um, part of the CG trailer is all the online players jumping in to give Ryo a hand, so uh, okay. it'll probably be just a bit of quests, kind of like, yeah. sent Those, around the Shenmue yeah. universe, helping them out. Yeah, that that would have changed the nature of the Shenmue games quite a bit. It would have been completely no different. I believe be it would have just been a straight-up spin-off. As we... Although much of the gameplay could have been the same. Yeah. The ways you earn money, the things you can collect, a lot of it would have been analogous. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm pretty sure that Leon would quite happily pay a subscription to play Lucky Hat <laughs> and play make some yeah. more money. <laughs> I, don't, I don't pay subscriptions for any games. And, uh, yeah, I think one where you could play uh, Shenmue darts and uh, crate stacking every day for a fee of 10 Yeah, it would be like month. daily quests, you know? <laughs> so as we... <laughs> I think what what all this speaks to is the fact that all these sort of rumored projects and starts and restarts and you know games being canned just speaks to even more why people who really long for Shenmue three mm. are so frustrated because they they hang on these rumors and and then every so often you know the 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 rumors pick up and and even rumors of of Shenmue HD pick up and then they die down again and it's just every every sort of six months or a year I guess it's just that I being sort of lifted up and then sort of doing having your hopes that, you know? squashed a little bit it's here. almost like someone who's waiting for the postman to arrive with a big parcel and their dad's an evil asshole and he's like hey it's a postman oh, he's going next door <laughs> <laughs> So it's long been rumoured that uh, HD versions <laughs> exist are complete basically ready to go uh, for XBLA, PSN. I assume nowadays it would probably come out on Steam as well. The big rumour was the Wii being the place for the remake, which God knows how the scrubbing the soot off the walls would have been with a Wiimote. Yeah. um, 
yeah, that was quite a big rumour that they were going to include motion control mm. on Shenmue 1 and 2 on the Wii as a test bed for mm. Even more massive than ever. Yeah, and that would, you know, that would kind of be disappointing now as well because, I mean, it wouldn't happen now because the Wii isn't seeing new releases, but it would have been disappointing if they, you know, another eight, another standard definition version of Shenmue, you know, if we are going to see Shenmue re-released, it would, it would at, least, at least be nice to see it with, uh, you know, polished higher resolution visuals and stuff. Um, and widescreen. Yeah, widescreen and all that. Connect uh, control. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um <laughs> Imagine crossing those planks with Connect. Oh God! Or six, then you want save points. Yeah. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah. Um, potential future. I'm, this is wild speculation corner. Um, again, what what would you like to see personally? Do you not care? Uh, you know, any thoughts of of the story being concluded in in another media animation, or you know, in the same way that they released that Shenmue uh, compiled movie. Would do you think some fans would be just placated by some sort of you know animated or manga conclusion to the fans story? Fans could never be placated, Leon. Well, no, okay, uh, <laughs> semi <laughs> sated. I think it would just be another slap in the face from Sega. I, I, I think versus the possibility of, of never, yeah, yeah, versus the possibility of never actually getting any resolution to the story then I, I think probably seeing if whether it was uh in some kind of comic book or or an animated uh movie or or whatever it might be seeing the resolution to the story would mm. at least at least fulfill part of the hopes of of fans you've got to assume uh, that ultimately at this point yes they would love the game to to get launched but if if funding it is going to be the problem, then if there I is think that would be really interesting. You know, like um, if you were watching yeah. them all watching it in a theater, and you could just yeah. see them all happy that yeah. they've at least got the story continued, but they've all got wet eyes because they're not playing it. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when like it gets to the section where he has to raise five thousand dollars. He was watching a movie for like four hours of crate carrying. <laughs> <laughs> so Sega, somebody at Sega, uh, America, I believe has been quoted as saying never say never but I don't think that even though they just said it twice <laughs> I thought yeah I don't think that means much in itself Yuzuzuki has been quoted as saying I think Sega will let me make it it's a matter of budget we have to make it in an affordable way uh, and another thing that's been mooted I think it was about a year ago it came up that Yuzuzuki might attempt to pry the rights away to the IP from Sega and, and make it independently himself what characters would he have in the capsule toys? Would they be like fake rip-offs of like, you know when he used to get like a very good Mickey point. Mouse t-shirts down the market or a fake Bart Simpson? That's actually a good point. That that would uh, kind of strip out some of the, the Shenmue-ness from Shenmue, wouldn't it? If they had to, if he had to leave all, unless he also, because there's no way he's going to be able to afford uh, rights for stuff like OutRun because that's actually <laughs> still worth money. Yeah. Made in China. Yeah. It, yeah. Well, that's it. It could be, uh, it could be knockoffs. Yeah. Um, He'd invent new retro fame. games, like on that retro game challenge game. Yeah, yeah. He'd make like a new outrun. It, it would never not exist. Possible it would be trucks. Yeah. Well, eighteen <laughs> wheeler. And the um, the the same, of course, would presumably go if he bought the yeah. the rights to a HD 
releases. They need to strip out the arcade games. Yeah. The only way that would happen if is if I think that was it's all been interesting. Out, you know, I don't think he'd buy it for an HD release. I think he'd only ever buy the rights if he was going to be continue able to the story. Yeah, I think Sega would handle that. The thing is, um, we've yeah. seen a lot of, uh, of it, yeah. XBLO and PSN releases of Sega stuff in the last few years. A lot of which, to me, has been incredibly exciting, and some of which are games which I feel stand up incredibly well. Um, Daytona and Guardian Heroes, uh, things like that. But also, we've also seen games um, either handled shoddily, a la Crazy Taxi, where you get a, a, a pretty crappy port of a PC port. And you get no soundtrack. Uh, well, you, you get, get soundtrack, yeah, because yeah, 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 of licensing issues. Um, or there's other ones, which I, I feel that uh, Shenmue would fall into this camp. Um, we've seen a lot of beloved IPs re-released on the downloadable services over the years, whether it's Speedball 2 or Sensible World of Soccer. And they really, people get very excited before they arrive. And then when they arrive, there's barely a ripple uh, in the pond because people either go, either they like, oh, you know, they're distracted by more modern games or they go back to them and they're disappointed with the fact that they're not as good as their memories. Uh, and I think no better example of that there is no better example of that than Jet Set Radio recently uh, which people were absolutely clamouring for the, 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 the vocal, the community was nearly as vocal as the Shenmue community we want Jet Set Radio, we want it in HD uh, it came out I think it did okay uh, and people kind of realised that actually it doesn't play very well anymore um, it looks it looks fine um, and on top of that the sequel played a lot better so going back is quite difficult there's that as well, yeah. Obviously, that's yeah. not the case with Shenmue in the same way. But um, I, I... Yeah. but but well, it kind of it kind of is because similar games to Shenmue yes. nowadays control and play. Yes, that's much it. better yeah, because that just of iterative uh, game development over the years, um, and and it is quite a hard game to go back to there is that this adjustment is exactly period my, the first my, hour where you've got to get and used on top to of that you know like you'd, ha- the, you'd have the puritans who wanted it to be exactly the game yeah. that would have been yeah. uh, on release mm. like uh, just immediately following Shenmue yeah. 2 and you'd also have the much larger audience that A probably wouldn't give a shit about the fact that it's Shenmue and B definitely wouldn't give a shit well they would give a shit they wouldn't be happy with the game control and the way it used to if I were to, uh, if yeah. they released Shenmue 1 and 2 HD as a package for XBLA, PSN, um, e- even if it had, you know, 5.1 mix for both games, HD textures everywhere, you know, all the, all the kind, you know, it was basically the same games, but with all the, the convenience and, you know, slight enhancements of the, I would still struggle. If I was reviewing those for a, for a website, I would not be able to, in good consciousness, give them a good score. Because to most people they would be all but unplayable. Yeah, yeah. When I think of of HD remakes of Shenmue, it's not just the visuals that I think need upgrading. I think there's, yeah, you would need modern controls put in. For instance, having a second analog stick on that controller when you're playing it's like on losing Xbox a limb going backwards. Dead is it, it? It doesn't. It doesn't fly. Yeah, it, it it just it leaves you with the question of why does this analog stick not control the way it does in every other game? Um, and the same goes if they're going to make those changes, then why not make changes so that you're not doing quite so many mm. of the uh, the sort of tedious, more menial tasks in the game? Uh, why not shorten that section as it's well? And then it becomes yeah. a whole issue of well, it's not really an HD release; it's a remake, isn't it? 
Although there's precedent for changing just the right analog stick with the Jet Set Radio HD download. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's it's difficult to know where to you know where to start and end. I think there'd be you know I don't know there there could even be problems with the engine just having a free camera being able to spin around. I think maybe some of the way that the the sort of visuals are generated, it might not be able to cope with that the way it's yeah. programmed. I'm not sure. Um, and then you start. There's one thing I wondered. Oh, no, sorry. Come. There's one thing I wondered earlier today was the number of textures in the game. What would be the size of an HD release? Mm. I wonder if that's partly to do with it the, the limits on xbla and psn download sizes because they don't really come into I'm place sure so much anymore huge. but but yeah you're actually i mean obviously you know we regularly see i mean it's a four disc game as it is and then if you imagine all of those it's only a one dvd like, game though and we're oh yeah fair and point. we're yeah. seeing games uh you know regularly released that are you know, full DVD size now on on uh, the limits of. I think there are still limits in theory on XBLA, not on PSN. Yeah. No, they would do the Resident Evil Four yeah, on XBLA, but not on for demand, games yeah. on demand. Uh, so they could maybe. I was just thinking that uh, when you get a, yeah, an HD exactly. texture pack for, say, even yeah. Ocarina of Time or the original Super Smash Brothers on N sixty four, they're like over over a gigabyte, mm. and that's not even including the original. It would be. If Data, it, it's true, be. actually, if 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 it is, if the rumours are true that the, the HD versions already exist, uh, unless they were just done, you know, using some clever uh, algorithmic generation, th- there was a shit of a lot of work gone into uh, upresing textures. Yeah. And it, and don't yeah, we we need to to bear in mind it's for two. Yeah, twenty five yeah. to thirty oh, no, that's games the, that that take that's you exactly from the place point. to place. They've got more assets the in them time than, in than most games, map, especially you know, the, hence the the lack of repetition. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but as I say, yeah. and I think, yeah, if they if if the rumours are true and they ha- have had that much work done, I would be. Uh, I mean, I I can't imagine you've got a team of artists sitting there uh, doing every single texture. I would imagine it would be a case of. Um, I think a lot of times, I know we we spoke. We'll just be upresed, maybe. Yeah, exactly, upresed. Um, we've seen some some of the HD re-releases go down that route. I think the Devil May Cry that we talked about recently that certainly doesn't look like it's had anything um, manually done to it. Whereas the other end is the Akami HD remake, which had a lot of stuff hand done. Yeah. I know from talking to artists uh, like Adam Capone and Ryan Astley uh, that they often work in much higher resolutions and I suspect that was true even in the Dreamcast days. So maybe they were, maybe they just simply put the higher res assets back in. Um, I'd still say it's a certain amount of, you know, it's a, a, a certain amount of work. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure they would make their money back if they released them for download simply, you know, through nostalgia and curiosity factors. But as I say, I think they would have a problem with review scores because you can already there was already a tail off between the Dreamcast version and the Xbox version because by the time the Xbox version came out, we were another two years down the line and the reviews weren't as favourable. I think now, ten years on from the Xbox version, and as somebody who's just played Shenmue 2, I think I would, as I say, I think I I couldn't give it above maybe, I certainly couldn't give it beyond five out of ten as a you know as a recommendation for people to buy, because so you couldn't give it more than a ten out of ten. I definitely wouldn't be giving it a 10 out of 10, no. <laughs> See, I, I was going to save it for the final roundup, which I will really, but I don't agree with you. But then <coughs> I'm kind of a fanboy for A, the original, and B, Sega as a whole. So maybe that's clouding. Well, no, it's, 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 a, it's a debate worth having. But um, yeah, let's first uh, hear from a couple of our correspondents about Shenmue 3, <clears throat> then our three-word reviews, and then we'll do our own summaries. 
Dom's Beard again says, Shenmue 3, the one game I want made over anything else. This story deserves to be finished, and I hope one day it will be. I wonder what the licensing is. I bet if a Kickstarter was announced for this tomorrow, it would be filled in no time. But looking into it, you're looking at around $50 million. But development costs have come down, so hopefully not as much. Whereas uh, Derek Delby says, the odd thing is that I do not have a great desire for the third. With uh, changes and improvements to almost everything the game did made over the years, it would, I suspect, lose what made it Shenmue in the first place. It is a product of the time, but that time has passed and the whole landscape has moved on. Make it to today's standards and it simply will not feel the same, act the same, or play the same, which would mean a lot of the magic that made the titles what they were is there no more. I'd agree with that. That I um, I don't have a great desire for a third game either. Um, and As much as a fan of the series as I am, I think the ending to me is fine. There was a great ending on disc three, and then disc four was this, ooh, but it all could be mystical. And I'm quite happy not knowing what went past mm. that, because that, Rio was starting to learn that it's not actually about getting revenge, and that that's not what's important. And by the time he realises that that's not important, the story's really over. <laughs> like, I don't think it would have ended with, as we were saying, like Landy being knocked off a building and, and mm. dying. I don't think that would have been the ending, and it would have been such an off-the-wall ending from seeing that disc four that I really don't care. I'd rather it be left to fan fiction if they want to make it up, <laughs> and I can just be happy that it ends where it ends. So. Yeah, um, I you know, I, I can't say after uh, how many hours I played it, 40, 50 hours over the two games, that I have no attachment to any of the characters. Uh, so there is a certain normal curiosity uh to know that to know what was intended with the rest of the story but i certainly wouldn't want to play it unless it was a completely new game i certainly never want to see a game made that <laughs> plays in any way like either of the shenmue games at this point <laughs> you're saying that, that if they continued the story of tom's hot dog stall you wouldn't be first in line i would yeah and perhaps just a tom tom's guiden uh a, a game all about tom and his uh wacky shenanigans in the USA. It could be a driving game. Could be a it driving. could be driving his car to work. Yeah, it could be like, uh, yeah, you pull up every now and again, start selling hot dogs, and then you could go to a lemonade stand style, uh, you know, resource management sim. Oh, it would be like the, it'd be like the garage level of driver. <laughs> Just play Lucky Hit, <laughs> Lucky Hit the spin-off. Three-word previews, then. I decided to ask for something different this time. Rather than three-word reviews of Shenmue 2, I asked for three-word previews of Shenmue 3. Now, uh, some people didn't uh, take this too literally. This is stretching the definition of a preview in, in a number of cases. Uh, I think there's a certain amount of trolling and a, and a few in-jokes going on, but there's uh, some good stuff nonetheless. Uh, let's start with uh, Dan, then Darren, then James, and me. In that order, please. Okay, so Ruben Cornell says, never going to happen. Rich Sposs says, kickstartle this Sega, which sounds kind of like the thing an 80s hero would say before kicking the arch-villain of the piece in the face. Or for building. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that was, that was, uh, I thought that was quite says, clever. Normally, normally Furious tries to destroy us with, with puns, but this time that's, that's kind of... It's a kind of cool gag. Uh, Rock Stepper says, HD forklift driving. Jerome McIntosh says, no thank you. 
Masonic Mole says, Q, T, E. <laughs> it's going to spell like that. So. Yeah, it's kind of a, it's a, it's, it's a visual gag. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it doesn't come across. Uh, no, I will explain it. No, that will ruin it too. But uh, You can put it in the show notes. It'll be, like Shenmue, it. it'll be like Shenmue, like a metaphor for it, you know? Yeah. It's like, you've got all the clues there, but you've kind of got to use your imagination to see how it all pans out. Easiest way to say it is... Yeah, yeah, very good. The, very the good. letters uh, Q, and in T, fact, and T is e relevant. Didn't even talk words, about making the uh, Chai one sign or whatever it is, where you spend hours just walking around tea rooms, shuffling cups about, <laughs> in the hope that someone will notice. Jesus, but hoping <laughs> that the wrong person won't. Notice. Yeah. Nickel <laughs> <laughs> uh, Neil says uh, another Gary Blower ending. of Game Burst and other. Outlets says Atari to publish Zachary Seven more forklift trucks. Barry Market never played it, which puts him in company with pretty much the yeah. rest of the world. I realised I I, I I read this after I'd uh, had a, an afternoon kip, and I I thought, oh my god, what is this bloke doing? He's he I assume he I assume this this bloke's thought that I've put reviews of Shenmue two, and he's done the never played it thing, which is uh, something that I've teased people about before um but i think actually he's being extremely witty um he, he's remembered that i've said that and then made the joke about shenmue 3 because of course he's never played it i oh, see how you explained that joke yeah i've explained that joke as well uh <clears throat> ruining jokes <laughs> yeah absolutely a cornerstone to all good content. so uh our own summaries feelings towards shenmue 2 in isolation darren foreman Godzooks. Okay, let's uh, skip past that to my opinion, which is, <laughs> I remember that I really loved Shenmue 2 when it came out, you know, I mean, like, I was young and foolhardy and it seemed exciting and new, and obviously it had all that hype around on it, you know, like it had been quite heavily hyped along with the first game, as this really far-reaching story that would span multiple games, and even though the question of whether the third game or the fourth game or the fifth game would ever get made, I really enjoyed my time just going through Shenmue 2 by itself. You know, the actual game itself, even without the prospect of more entries in the series, was enough to keep me happy. It's kind of strange, because, I mean, looking back on it, it really is a product of its time. A lot of the stuff that made it exciting and new then would probably get it laughed off the market nowadays. But for all that, it was still a brave attempt at something new. I did like the Cardinals. I don't think they had particularly good script into them. But as I said earlier, I like the visual designs. And as I said a lot in the last uh, Kingdom Hearts for Shenmue 1, it just felt like a slice of life that you, you really don't get in video games very often. And even though Ryo's journey is pretty much over prematurely, I'm still glad that I took the time to go on it alongside him. And this game also had a, an amazing amount of just stuff for fans to discover. For instance, we never got to talking about the duck racing earlier on. Ah, oh, duck racing. My God, yes. Uh, which so, most of us missed, sadly. And many people Yeah. Didn't. I mean, there's not, probably no time to kind of go back and explain that. But if you go onto YouTube and look up for the Shenmue 2 duck racing, you get this just absolutely bizarre, fairly involved kind of side quest that most people will never see. It's got a duck that speaks English in the subtitles. You know, it just quacks. And then you've got this <laughs> duck jumping up and going like... Let's rock, baby. I'll kick these guys' asses. It's insane and brilliant. And, and they wear bow ties. Though, 
Yeah, there were no ties, you know? It's just, it's like a fever dream playing a game. And although Shenmue, the series will never get finished, I really enjoyed my time <laughs> with it. Um, not a game that I could really recommend New Plus pick up now, because like a lot of other games, and probably even more so than quite a lot of the classics, it just doesn't hold up. But at the same time, if you were there at the time, you'll, you should understand why a lot of people just have this overwhelming nostalgia for the series. So, you don't have to play it now, but hopefully this podcast has kind of like shown you why we, you know, those of us who were there at the time just have such fond memories. Well said. Um, yeah, for me, I've found it difficult to uh, mask my frustrations with the Shenmue experience, but then, you know, that's not what I'm here to do. I'm, I'm neither, I neither, you know, go out, I set, set out with no agenda to... Uh, slaughter sacred cows, nor to uh, pr- overpraise games because they are held as classics. I, I'm speaking as I find, and all that, and and anything I say is in no way designed to uh, deny any Shenmue lovers their experience and their feelings. That's all absolutely genuine. This is my experience as somebody who played, finally got round to playing Shenmue uh, in 2012, 2013. You sounded disturbingly apologetic already. Yeah. I, I, I'm uncommonly so with this game because I know just how fondly people hold Shenmue, I think, and, and also some of their fans seem quite scary. Yeah. So, but at the same time, it you sounds like you've left a, with, with some quite fond memories, though. Um, as, with, as with the first game, I cannot help but admire the vision and the ambition of Yu Suzuki and his team. Uh, there are certain scenes which are atmospheric some of the music is tremendous uh really cool stuff um the real world setting i i appreciate the idea of doing that i think there's you know there's i mean there are you know there are other games set in the real world but perhaps this is until the latter stages are more authentic real world in some regards uh and as I say, the the variety of actual NPCs in the town, even though on the Dreamcast the, the game has a certain amount of slowdown and stuff as as people walk around, uh, is impressive. And I, I've added duck racing to my plus column, even though I didn't find it. It looks like the best thing in the entire game. Uh, they have bow what? ties. Best thing in the entire world. The, the the ducks have bow ties, multicolored bow ties. You can catch your own <laughs> duck and race your duck. Um. Unfortunately, in the negative column goes every other mini game. I'm not including Outrun and Afterburner. I'm talking about darts and Lucky Hit and crate stacking and stacking books. You spend an inordinate amount of time of your gameplay experience doing these fucking terrible mini games. Um, the checkpoint is inconsistent, as I mentioned. The story moves either at a glacial pace, taking hours to go anywhere, or it rockets forward. Um, Similarly, the, the the gameplay structure is uh, is, is similarly inconsistent. Um, the structure is weird, especially the the contrast between disc three and disc four. But I think we've established why that is because disc four is actually the next game. Um, again, as I said last time, I'm really pleased from a video game historian point of view to have now experienced Shenmue in its entirety. Uh, I never want to play it again. I found it incredibly frustrating and mostly quite boring, sadly. Um, and yeah, if I did, if I do ever have to review an HD version for uh, a site, I'll I'll be 
conflicted about what score to give it, um, with the fear that I may incite flame wars. James? I don't have that. You'll have to play it again. Oh. Oh, God. <laughs> I'll, just look at, I'll just look at the graphics. <laughs> um... I, I guess what I'd say is, um, I obviously had quite a big uh, gap between playing Shenmue and then and then Shenmue Two. Um, when I came to Shenmue Two, my feelings were, I can't help but respect what this game did at the time. Um, as far as I know, and, and Leon may be about to to quash this sentiment, but it was doing things that that Grand Theft Auto gets a lot of credit for in terms of open worlds and and. And providing you with sort of real life uh, settings to to walk around, um, and it, and it was doing mm, them before and as Grand Theft Auto Three came out. Um, right. And Thanks. Uh, and QTEs came <laughs> from the Shenmue series. Uh, <laughs> not that I not that I enjoy those, but it's, they're certainly an important uh, part of game mechanics over the past uh, twelve years uh, since since Shenmue. Or eleven or twelve years since Shenmue first came out, so uh, even for the we can debate whether it's good or bad, but it's, it seems to me that the Shenmue games had a lot of effect and a lot of uh, legacy to to afford games that we we have seen in the past couple of generations. Um, mechanically, I I think it has aged rather poorly i think visually it still looks good yes it, it looks lower res than than games do nowadays but the the city still looks vibrant and, and interesting and uh it still is quite impressive i think um uh, narratively i think the story is is pretty good yes there's problems with pacing and yes there's this this curious sort of fourth act of of Shenmue 2 um I I quite enjoyed that I liked the fact that it didn't end at its natural end point but not in a sort of Lord of the Rings way where it drags on with several endings it had a natural ending but then it it was almost like whether it's because they chose to sort of put out a little bit of Shenmue 3 tagged on to the end of Shenmue 2 or whether it's because they actually wanted that sort of lull at the end, that change in pacing um, to to give the player a breather after Kowloon, I, I really felt that that was I, I felt like it worked, for, for me at least, um, and the the symbolism and imagery that I was able to sort of peel back some layers on and think about uh, always sort of gets my juices flowing. I, I like the fact that I can talk to people like Dan as I did when I was playing Shenmue uh, and several other of our um, uh, listeners and, and crew um, whilst I was I was playing and finishing up Shenmue 2 on Twitter um, and the fact that I can go to, to YouTube and type in real-life Shenmue and, and have a wonderfully scored um, tour around some of the real-life settings for the the game these are all sort of things that really appeal to to me and they show that the development team has put in a lot of time and effort and thought behind what they're doing in terms of the narrative and and visuals and symbolism in the game uh if not maybe thinking about <laughs> how the game's going to actually be played quite so much um, I've already said my my lasting memory is going to be the thousand white convent uh, scene, 
just as a as a piece of almost cinematography uh, in video games, it, it really struck me as something quite special. Um, it's hard to recommend people play it unless they go in in the frame of mind that they are going to experience something of an anachronistic, um, certainly dated uh, mechanical game to play, uh, but perhaps see something of where games nowadays have have got to and and one of the sort of key i I think key moments in in gaming and developing what we think of nowadays as almost sort of standard fare and our guest dan to conclude um like yourself i've been playing this game very recently i literally only finished it today yeah so um i'm coming at it i think with a modern gamer's perspective My, I left with a very different opinion to yourself. Yeah. I mean, other than the mechanics of how you control the character and how you earn money in those early stages of the game, um, I I really enjoyed it. It's one of my favourite... I'm not going to say best games, but it's one of my favourite games I've played this generation, even though it's not a game from this generation. No. Um, to me, I just love how... I love. Maybe I'm being fooled by this, but I love how it looks, how it sounds. I love the characterization the design and maybe it's because it's a big love letter to Sega it, the, and I'm quite a big Sega fan maybe I'm just sort of falling for the smoke and mirrors a bit but I'd say um, again with the caveat that James included that do know that the mechanics are clunky and dated but I'd, I'd think as you've all said from a historical perspective do give it a go if you haven't played it or and I wouldn't even having played it and seeing the pacing is way better than in the first game. I think it's maybe even worth skipping Shenmue 1 and just watching Shenmue the movie. Because you're not going to miss any gameplay mechanics. They're all repeated in Shenmue 2. But if you do want to catch up on the series, then... Yeah, I wouldn't hesitate to say give it a try. Um, as, as one thing to see if you're going to like it or not, there's a moment where... Ryu walks into someone's flat and the camera angle shows his head next to a light switch and he says where's the light switch and then he turns around and finds it and says oh here's the light switch it'll turn the lights on (laughs) and I don't know I love that kind of thing so um, maybe that's not the reasons for saying it's a good game but for those moments I've left it with a really positive impression and I'm going to go back and play it again I'm going to do the duck race I'm going <laughs> to get the snapshots to look at the little manga um, like comic strips of the like the extra characters um, I want to do all that sort of stuff so uh, especially as in my town there's an annual duck race that they hold on uh, on Coombsford Green which is a local little park um, but they hold an annual duck what race town do so, you live in 1748? Uh, it's called yeah, it's called Stone Market Suffolk, and I think it's like a traditional thing, but now it's like a an annual charity <laughs> duck race. So, um, Do you also put witches in the pond? And... We don't talk about that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, but ducks but yeah, in the pond. That, it's that kind of place. Yeah, clear, <laughs> no, ducks in the race, <laughs> witches in the pond. Yeah, yeah, when the ducks are not there because they're racing, they use that to duck the witches. <laughs> and if there was a Shenmue 3, the one thing I'd want to find out is what was on the tapes that Rio threw away. <laughs> Because he only listens to one out of oh maybe a dozen of them. Like, yeah, like 24 hours worth of just tape after tape of just random conversations. Yeah, I'd love that. Suzuki didn't <laughs> do that. 
<laughs> and then uh, once you've listened to the last one and it is 24 hours of gameplay, he says, oh, it's always the last place you look. Oh. <laughs> yeah. um, no, th- you know, there's, I've, I've said this before on Kane and Rince, but you know, we may have new listeners. Um, I, I like when we do the summaries to uh, conclude with somebody who I know is probably the, the most, if, you know, one of, if not the most positive person, not because I think that opinion is more right. You know, it may be the most different from mine as it is in this case, but because, you know, we are about the love of video games, not just slagging them off. Um, I think that's, you know, it's more, I, I hope that more people will have your experience than mine is what I'm saying. Let us round up this podcast. Uh, apologies for it being a bit of a long one, but um, obviously, you know, legendary game and uh, yeah, legendary legacy as well. So uh, we do go long on some of our series ones. Uh, there's a bonus podcast available, uh, a Canarin's Extra. Uh, it is me in conversation with Jim Crawford, the man behind the amazing Frog Fractions. Uh, if you haven't heard of it, Google it. You can play it at uh, twinbeardstudios.com slash frog hyphen fractions. Uh, it's a flash-based game. Um, and the thing that we keep having to stress is that it it's difficult because you don't want to spoil it, but you don't want people to miss the thing. Well, James, you've played it, haven't you? What's what's the best way of telling somebody to not miss yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. the rest of Frog Fractions, but without spoiling it? Do you know what I mean? Do you know? The, let's just say that the pond is deep. That's Ooh, yeah, yes. yeah. Um, That's perfect. You've pl- you played it too now, Darren. Did you enjoy it? Yeah, yeah that was right. Yeah, absolutely. I, Definitely very different, and uh, it certainly had a strange sense of humour that I could appreciate. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so there's a podcast. Uh, if you subscribe, it will have downloaded automatically. Uh, if not, it's available on the blog. You can listen to it on the website. You can download it separately. Uh, and it's about an hour of me in conversation with Jim, who gave up his time for us very kindly. Uh, next week, in Cana Rince Volume 2, we'll be doing what everyone else has already done, which is uh, talking about The Walking Dead Season 1. Actually, I was I meant to mention The Walking Dead in terms of telling video game stories without much interactivity and crappy crappy action minigames because um, Telltale <laughs> have shown that in 2013 you can do it better than they could back then and with a lot less mm. budget but uh, Tony will be hosting that one The Return of Tony Atkins from uh, Paternity and Sickness and I'll be taking a week off you don't want to know what I think about The Walking Dead uh, I liked it then Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, no. just to say, it might not be entirely mechanically sound. Yes, that's end that's of, true. End of that's true enough. End of, uh, now you've mentioned it, the voice acting sometimes of, reminds yeah. me of Shenmue. No, it's infinitely better. Oh come on! Infinitely better. <laughs> no, I, I've got to side with Leon here. No, Especially given the production dead, constraints they have. One of the things that gets very yeah, right. Yeah, fair is point. The, I suppose Clementine is better than the girl with the cat. Yeah. Bite your tongue, man. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Spec Ops The Line. That's my next game to play. Uh, Then Crisis and Crisis 2. That's one show. They don't get their own show each. They're not important enough. Uh, Bioshock does, though. Uh, And then Dan will return for the Streets of Rage trilogy. Looking forward to that one. Starcraft. Is that one show? (laughs) That is only one show. That that does seem unfair, actually. uh... In fact, the show will probably take longer than playing all three games back to back. Yeah, maybe so. Uh, Josh makes his hosting debut with StarCraft 2 Wings of Liberty. 
then it's I Am Alive, then Bioshock 2, and I guess we'll talk about Minerva's Den as well, because uh, people like to. Animal Crossing series after that, uh, hopefully we'll hear some news on New Leaf soon. Uh, Grand Theft Auto 4 and the episodes from Liberty City, hopefully in time for GTA 5 Fever. Then James makes his hosting debut on the most requested Kane and Rince show of all, Dark Souls. Metro 2033, which may or may not now coincide with the <laughs> release of Metro Last Light as it's changed hands, publisher. And then we're going to catch up with uh, XCOM Enemy Known. from uh, Enemy Known, the, the really <laughs> boring... Um, <laughs> it's, it's just hoodies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, near these guys the one again. where you're fighting other... <laughs> yeah, yes, it's the, the climb up the building in Shenmue. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I was. I was fighting the controller, wooden planks, wooden planks, my own sanity. Uh, the full upcoming schedule can, thanks to Jay Taylor, be found on the blog at canerince.com. We have videos. They're also on the blog or our YouTube channel. We have a Twitter, of course, canerince, Facebook, canerince. And as ever, we're grateful for your support through iTunes. Subscribe to us, review us, rate us, and of course, check out the wonderful Kane Rince Interactive Electronic Periodical, which is in the form of an iBook. It's very cool. Best of all, as ever, I say, join the Kane Rince community and have your say on the forum, kanerince.com slash forum. Uh, and one final thing from me, a personal shout out, a genuine heartfelt thank you to Mr. Hans Danik. I turned on my Xbox 360 the other day, having just put the Dreamcast away, uh, and found that I had a message from somebody, a gamertag, I did not recognise, uh, but he gifted me in the only way that you can on Xbox. Why can't you do gifting properly? I don't know. Uh, he sent me the code for uh, 1200 Microsoft points because I mentioned merely in passing on the Alan Wake podcast that I hadn't been able to get myself American Nightmare uh, as I was between jobs and pay packets which was true um, and he wanted me to buy it for myself so just incredibly touching and sweet and I must be careful what I say because there are generous people out there who will buy me things when I say stuff like that so um... yeah, it's a shame that I can't afford that TV <laughs> <laughs> 58-inch 4K TV. Uh, but yes, I've started American Nightmare, and indeed, I, as I suspected, because I liked the combat in Alan Wake, American Nightmare is good fun, because it's more of that, and it's got really good graphics. And thank you, Mr. Hans Danik. Anyway, uh, here's some nice closing music for Shenmue 2, and uh, we'll be back next time with The Walking Dead. So I guess that all that's left is for us to head off and have one final game of Lucky Hat. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you to Darren Foreman, James Carter, and special guest Dan from the AI Bots. Thank you. Podcast. And uh, we'll see him back here soon. Until then, goodbye.